Alright, and we're back. Episode 4. Episode Talk four. of All Trades. Talk of All Trades. And this will be like a part 2 continuation of a prison experience. Uh, last time we had uh, Associate Professor Lane Dittman on, along with uh, Neil Giese. Uh, got a lot of good information there. About almost, I think that was our longest podcast. It was like almost two plus hours. Yeah, almost three. Worth of, well, almost three hours? Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> worth of content. I just watched a three hour movie last night, by the way, and I was like, God, Lord. Is what Lord is this? The Rings or something? <laughs> but, but Avatar. The, but the guy was in prison for 20 years. Yeah. You don't just. Yeah. No. You can't no, wrap that up in 20 minutes. 30 minutes. Yeah. You know? well, yeah. and, and to be honest with you, um, I, I want to try to have him back on again, and, and depending on, on how where this conversation goes, we might have to do a part two, even with you. Our guest today is uh, John Danewood, um, from just what I gathered a little bit, and actually reading the back of, of a book that you wrote, Suicide, Passport to Heaven, it says, this scriptural compilation was researched and written by the author who spent 35 years, 10 months, and 7 days in the Texas prison system while serving a life sentence for murder. So. That's just a, a brief introduction of our guest today, John Danewood. Um, again, a continuation of a prison experience. Um, so I'm just sharing this so yes. people can tune in live on Twitch. So okay. uh, give me just a second. Uh, so John, I kind of just want wanted you to start maybe just from the beginning. Maybe you know tell tell us about you know how you ended up in prison and kind of your your story. Uh, pre-prison and then we'll go into more of the details of your experience there yeah i'm from a good family my dad worked at union oil which used to be pure oil now it's union 76 and then my mom worked at dupont so we were like mm. middle class not upper middle class but um you know lived in south park beaumont which was not really middle class so we were just barely middle class and uh but a great family. My grandparents lived in, in Burkeville, which is up by uh, Newton, uh, by Toledo Bend Lake. So I had the best of both worlds. I spent weekends up there. I was, you know, uh, my grandfather was married to my grandmother for 60 something years. My dad and mom were married for 55 years before he passed. So solid family, uh, two parent family. Uh, but I was hyperactive and back then they said that uh, he's a go-getter, mm -hmm. right? That boy's a go-getter, and because uh, you're hyperactive, they didn't have anything to uh, put you on rattling or anything <laughs> back then, right? Yeah, they didn't right. know it was a deficit. They thought it was just a bunch of energy. You'd go places, but I had this thing when I was a kid. Like if I was in class, if I was in there too long, I just felt the need to get out. You know, uh, I didn't like to be closed in. And then uh, I drove crazy, and uh, I had a wreck that broke my skull into four pieces and shoved it downward on the brain and mm. knocked me into a coma for four days. And uh, my heart quit twi uh, quit beating twice because when you have a head injury and you're concussed and you're unconscious, you throw up and you continue to breathe, so you drown in your vomit. Uh, they had to cut me out of the car with jaws of life. And when I, I was paralyzed on the right side, and so I couldn't run with the athletes and you know that group anymore so i started hanging out with misfits and thugs and my right side came back slow so you know i was they shaved my head and it had a big dent in it and i walked like that and uh so really i went from being pretty popular to being you know and it was worse i felt worse than my situation actually was right. you know 
but I started hanging around with criminals and misfits and then the next thing you know uh, I went to do a robbery with somebody and uh, I had a shotgun but I was subject to seizures and on medication and uh, uh, I didn't intend to kill him but one minute he was there and the next he was on the ground and I shot him in the face with a shotgun Jesus. so yeah and it was a foot-long shotgun so I only go into that because the gruesomeness of it dictated the custody level of prison uh, security level of prison that I went to right and uh, and so you know I was in the county jail for seven months and and uh, facing the death sentence and then my lawyers paid lawyers that my people you know put a second mortgage on the house to pay uh, they lied to me and told me that Tex in Texas life was 20 years and it only took a third of that to come up for parole uh, and at any event, you'll be my age when you get out. He was 38 and I was 18. That's 20 years. And I thought six years, seven years. I come up and, you know, keep your nose clean. You're going to get right, out, you right. know. And uh, I thought, wow, yeah, I'm going to get the death sentence because I was guilty. And uh, so I did. And then I found out I had to do 20 calendar years. But I had never been in any detention center, no boys' school. Man, I ran through the woods. I, you know, in the ocean on the lakes water skiing right and uh, all of a sudden i'm in a cage you know uh, a cell and uh which is a cage six by no mistake they can, yeah six feet by uh, nine feet nine feet deep six feet wide and uh two bunks one on one the bottom bunk is about two foot two and a half foot off the floor and then the top bunk is about two and a half three feet above that and then the ceiling a uh, porcelain toilet in that corner and a porcelain sink in that corner. Mm -hmm. Two men in this thing. And when I went, there was overcrowding issues. There was only 22 penitentiaries back then, not 100 plus. Okay. And so they had three men in each of those cells. And uh, you talk about, I mean, it was it was tough. You get three men in there that are all miserable. Uh, with a lot of time to do, where, a bunch of time. Well, where, I went to, where'd the third one sleep? On the uh, well, the way that worked was you folded your mattress and put it under the other bed, and then you pulled it out, and the toilet was there, your mattress was here, and the head of the bars was here. So they rolled the doors all night long because there's three shifts of work, and so if you got your hand caught in it, it just broke whatever it shut on. Hmm. And uh, so to keep it that, you either had to sleep with your head to the bars and take the danger of that, or sleep with your head to the urinal, right? To the toilet, it's not a urinal, it's yeah. a toilet. And then the guy that gets on the top bunk, if he's got to use the restroom, he jumps down, Ooh. straddles you, and uses, you know, and... Clearly that's not where you want to be. Splatter, yeah. yeah. But the thing is, in order to get a bunk, you had to wait for somebody to go home, right? And on the East Ham, everybody had 60-plus years. Ain't nobody going home. And they'd been down there three or four times, and the chance of you getting a bunk was you just had to wait it out, sometimes years. I was on the floor for two years, and if you went to solitary, mm -hmm. if you went to solitary and you were fixing, you know, you've been on the floor for six months, you go to solitary, start when over. you come back, you start over. No, no. Uh, yeah, so I, and I was always in trouble because I was going off. But going to prison, I was scared to death, man. I was I was just turned 19 in the county jail, just avoided the death sentence, heard all the stories about what they do to blonde-haired, blue-eyed boys that are 18 years mm -hmm. old, six-foot-tall, 145-pound beanpole. Uh, and you know how 
people like to scare you. So they tell you all these stories, and then then you you go find out they're true. But I heard them all before I got there, right? And so I was chained up in the bus going and uh, scared to death. And about an hour into it, I uh, all my fear turned to rage because the guy in front of me and the bench seat in front of me turned around and said, how you gonna do that time? Boy, you gonna get you a man to do it with you? And uh, uh, all of my fear, and it was a lot, for an hour I'd been sitting there going, what am I gonna do? Oh God, what am I gonna do? That's it. Oh God, what am I gonna do? Over and over and over. And he did that and it, and, and it was like flipping a breaker. It turned from fear to rage. And I told him what I then proceeded to do for 15 years. I'm going to do my time killing anybody that F's with me. Are you effing with me, man? And uh, he looked at me and said, uh, all right down there. Well, I got it in my head somehow that if I could just kill him, that nobody would jack with me in prison. Right. So you have leg shackles. It's a chain between your legs. And I tried to lean back and raise my feet up real quiet and slip that chain over his head. I was going to pull it, choke him with the chain. But it rattled when I was bringing it down, and he heard it and ducked his head, so it went behind him. So uh, I went to prison, and it was known. They had said I was trying to escape from the county jail, which I wasn't. I had a fight, and, they, and that guy told him I had a rope. So they locked me in isolation, put me on the bus, and then that. So when I got to diagnostics, they isolated me, and uh, uh I started my time, and in diagnosis, they tell you what your time is and when you come up for parole, and then I understood I had to do 20 flat years, calendar years. I had to be 38 years old to reach parole eligibility, mm-hmm. and that, they, that I had to stay until I died an old man in prison if I didn't make parole, and that parole was a privilege. You couldn't earn it. it they, they had to vote to let you out, right. and that all the violence you exhibit to survive in prison would keep you there. Yeah, it would yeah, mark against you. Yeah, so it was either, now I was stupid, don't get me wrong, I was ignorant, I was dumb, I was full of rage, I had brain damage, and not a good education, and, uh, but I had one thought, man, just one. Man, if I don't learn something, if I don't learn how to think, I'm here because my brain don't work right, it's damaged, I'm stupid, I need to learn how to think or this is gonna be my life forever. And then I had hope, too, of filing my own case, right? Yeah. Beating my case, beating my case. I can hang on till I beat my case. Because if it would have got into my head at, that I had to do those 20 years without hope of getting out, I'd have stabbed the warden. I'd have killed the warden or something in order to get the death sentence. I wouldn't kill myself. Sure. But uh, I would take a stand against everybody that, you know, look, if your name wasn't Dane Wood, I hated you. Mm-hmm. And no, ain't no Dane Woods in prison, but me. They're all, you know. So, you know, I just, I, I was an unfortunate situation, and uh, it just got worse. But that, it was mandatory to get an education. When I went, they had building tenders and turnkeys. Uh, Geasley talked about, uh, what's his name? Geasley? Geasley. 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 Yeah. Geasley talked about uh, David Ruiz and, and that lawsuit. Well, mm-hmm. William Wayne Justice in the Fifth Circuit was the justice that ruled that the Texas Department of Corrections was cruel and unusual punishment. And he implemented all these procedures. They used to have inmate guards, building tenders and turnkeys. Right. 
and uh, they beat you to death for the man because he gave them all kinds of privileges. They mm -hmm. could have some weed, they could have wine, they had pipes, they had buck knives. Right. These are inmates themselves. Yeah. Are, what, have, what have I heard these people called before? Like, not to say orderlies, but yes. porters. Yeah, okay, yeah. Prison inmates <clears throat> who were basically like supplemental guards. They were guards. You know, and the warden wanted you beat up, they beat you up. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and, and Gizzi talked about, <clears throat> Gizzi talked about filing grievances and getting a major fired. I had to have a, a senator come keep them from beating me to death, the guards. Yes. On the tarot unit. The, the these these turnkeys these, these no these no. were guards these were actual guards okay yeah, yeah. so there there's there's uh they had inmate guards they had the wardens would beat you up the majors and when they when I stabbed that guy on Coalfield and went to East Ham then the building major over there told me well you either work for me or you work against me if you work for me I'll give you a knife I'll give you a pipe I'll give you a punk in your cell if that's what you want a whole sexual in your cell I'll give you what you want but you're gonna whip who I say whip don't worry you ain't got to beat them up by yourself you're gonna have a crew with you uh, of other building tenders and turnkeys and if you if you just take care of my business you'll have an easy go of it man so it was like that and if you don't you're gonna have a hard road to hoe and uh, I hacked up a loogie and spit in his face. Mm. <laughs> the one thing I had, and the one thing I had was my integrity, right? I did what I did. I had dues to pay, but I would not get, you know, get someone else in trouble in order for me to escape punishment or to make it easy. And back then I had this frame of mind, man, you can ask me anything you want, but you can't tell me nothing. Mm -hmm. right and you can't order me to do nothing if you order me something i'm gonna do the direct opposite <laughs> so you know the mixture of being a teenager bullheaded and brain damaged and raging uh but i did know man i had to get a yeah an education i had to learn how to I think something. you know i had to learn how to think you, you were you were going off on a train of thought and I, and I and i distracted you i apologize but we had talked about how at, at the time where geesey had filed the grievances against deputy ruiz uh, but at the time that you were in, it was prison inmates that were guards. guards. Yeah. And so, obviously, you, you just described how, you know, they had a lot of influence or a lot of... Uh, <laughs> Power, man. Or, yeah, and, and a lot of... Uh, they were the warden's gangs, and right, they were the right. bloodiest gangs ever in the state of Texas. Bloody they would any, kill you. Any any gangs that, that we know of. And the, they beat you up. They, they whooped you six on one. Yeah. Uh, the way the penitentiary at East Ham is set up is there's a ride gate that has it's a, bars across the hall yes. and bars across the hall. There's two wings and two wings. On those two wings are three rows of 21 cells. On, all, on every, every cell block, there's five building tenders, right? Right. And between the gates, each gate had a turnkey and all the other gates down this I don't know, mile and a half haul, <laughs> were turnkeys. So they slammed them. And once one gate slammed, they all slammed, and the, and the turnkeys came down the hall. So uh, if, you, if, if you lasted long enough, you'd have them all on you. Mm -hmm. But you're guaranteed, right, to have 20 on you. Right. There's five in each cell. Right. Now, they only sent it what they needed, right? So sure. it wasn't like... 
it was every time 20, but uh, if you got in a fight in between the ride gates or something kicked off, they slammed the gates. If you were the culprit, well, and somebody was with you, y'all just had a bad day, but, yeah. and uh, they beat you. And if you didn't get visits, if you, if you didn't have a connection to the outside world, right. they'd kill you. They'd just beat you to death and nobody would ever know, miss you, right? And if you, if, you, if you were not manageable and you didn't have people, if you were, they couldn't control you, if none of their little manipulative tactics with violence backing it worked, right? Then they'd ship you to the walls and give you electroshock treatment to kill brain cells that make you passive. That's, they yeah, leave yeah. you passive with That's the ones wild. you have. That is wild. And so if they, until they decided to do that, they'd try to put you on prolixin and Thorazine. Mm -hmm. And they have a thing that in the penitentiary they call a prolixin shuffle, right? Okay. And so these guys walk and they just, and half of them are, are, are walking a dog that's not there. Right. And if you mess with that dog, they'll kill you. And then they'll take them back over there and fry their brain, right, uh, until they get it right. So all that was going on when I went down, and it had, it had made strides because I think the David Ruiz lawsuit was actually won in, in 1977, I think. Okay. So, you know, and before that, they had inmates on horses with shotguns. I'm, you, oh, I'm yeah. sure you Seen saw movies. the old movies. Yeah. Well, that's real. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Well, they had done away with that, but they still had in the fields, they had lead rows, turn, uh, tail rows, push leads, push tails, a striker, a two strikers and a file boy. Mm -hmm. And they'd all click on you if you couldn't keep up your work. Right. Well, I was in the fields for six years because when I went, if you had a job, uh, you were either a rat or you were cool with rats being snitches and people working for the warden, right? Right. And, uh, or you knew somebody that was, that was looking after you. Well, I didn't have none of that. None of my people ever been to prison. And uh, so that was tough, man. Uh, yeah, but, but when David Ruiz filed that lawsuit and him and I think five of his buddies, it might have been six, they put his name on it, but they, they did implement all those proceedings. But people in the United States thinks the good old boys government in Texas is kind of dense and they just kind of put up with all oh, them old cowboys and goat farmers. Well... They're shrewd, man. They know what they're doing. That's why they tried to succeed from the nation. It's why you can't tell them nothing. And once you do put them in a corner, they manipulate their way out of it. So what they did was they decided, okay, well, we got a oil recession. We're, they're saying there's not enough, uh, not enough room for the inmates we have. It's cruel and unusual to pack them in these little cells. Uh, so they're going to have to determine what a cell should look like. Then mm -hmm. they're going to have to federally fund us. We can get a bunch of federal money from this right. if we if we build prisons. And by the way, man, we're in a recession in all these communities. We can build a prison there and put all these people to work as guards. Not to mention building the prisons themselves. Is the construction. creating jobs, jobs. Industry, all that, right? Right, right, so right? All of them, plumbing, electrical, everything. Everything, right? yeah. Uh, so... They, they put it together and they did it, man. And, and they bucked them where they could buck them for as long as they could buck them. And then they, they gave in doing something else, the bare minimum of what they didn't want to do. Mm. And then what really helped the state financially, they, oh, we're, we're in compliance. Yes, we are. We are in compliance. And, 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 and you know, and they, they pushed it. And uh, so, but the main thing that came out of that was 
uh, used to solitary confinement. When you got 15 days of solitary, they had what they call one full meal every three days, and you ate two vegetable days, two vegetable trays the other days. And the full meal was one of your vegetables. So you only ate two meals a day, right? Okay. And it was uh, a tray with the little squares, three squares at the right. top, a bigger square here and a, and a, and a you know, like a pancake mm -hmm. bin here. Mm -hmm. And they'd take one string of greens and they'd put it there in one of those slots. Come on. They'd take pinto beans, a tablespoon. You know the spoons that are yes. about that big? A tablespoon, probably nine beans, and put it in the other one. They'd take a spud, a little potato that was about that big around, and put it in the other one. And then they would put one-inch cube of cake and a one-inch piece of meatloaf on there. Come on. That was your full meal. That was the full meal. The other two days, you just got the vegetables. Jesus. So, yeah, and you did 15 days of that. They were supposed to take you out and give you three days of regular meals, mm -hmm. what the population's eating, and then let you do another term if you had stacked sentences. Right. Well, they did they, they pulled you out and said you were not on solitary, and they fed you the same solitary mm. trade. But yeah, it was it was a it was a deal where William Wayne Justice saw it was nepotism, right? It mm -hmm. was a lot of those people that were in charge of men's lives and other guards and making them do things and pressuring them to do things. Uh, you are an inmate lover, right? That kind of mentality. Um, it was it was. It, it was redneck to the nth degree, but redneck does not equate to stupidity. Redneck does not mean these people aren't shrewd. Right. Redneck means that they are the way they are because they choose to be, and they know how to get away with it. Well, like you said, some of the nepotism and all the other sort of good, good old boy, we would classify we'll as good old boy. Yeah. yeah, that kind of, that kind of deal. It's generational, too. It's right. the way they were brought up. Oh, sure. yeah. oh, yeah. That's all they know. Yeah. And uh, so they and needed to change that, and that's what the, William Wayne Justice did. Now he implemented yeah. all these different procedures, got rid of the inmate guards, right. and they tried to. They started what they call support service inmates. Mm. They just made them SSIs, mm. and all the building guards that were there, the turnkeys and stuff, and building tenders. They just gave them that new name. Okay, name. we yeah. got it, yeah, yeah. and we did it. Yeah. And and then and then William Wayne Justice didn't go for that. They had a right. special master from the federal office that oversaw the units and uh, so they fixed that once they got rid of them uh the gangs popped up when i went to prison the texas mafia i mean uh, the mexican mafia and the texas syndicate mm -hmm. were the two gangs and if there was more texas syndicate which was on the units i was they ran right yeah they ran nothing when there was building tenders and turnkeys right. unless they ran it through the building tenders and turnkeys yeah. you talked about yeah. contraband uh, I used to smuggle quarter pounds into the penitentiary. In fact, I had them deliver me a quarter pound on the law library, from the law library. Yeah. Uh, so all of those things, I mean, there, if you've got 24 hours a day to do nothing, right? but think about how to beat whatever system is there. Mm -hmm. And when I first started working the law in my cases, I started looking at civil laws because I thought, well, if I'm going to be here all this time, I'm going to have to rob a bank or something when I get out. I'll be, you know, to catch up. And so I was reading all the – I mean, that's <laughs> no, I, my I thought you. process. No, I, I was stupid, right? Yeah. And as I got educated, I was applying it in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and even my fight for education was flawed because it was like, yeah – you were gonna yeah. you know. teach me or i'm gonna give you a yeah. sandwich yeah <laughs> it was violence all yeah. everything was violent violence. and uh and in prison 
respect is the amount of fear you can commit. Now, not on minimum custody, medium custody units. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about maximum security units. Respect is given by the amount of fear that you can instill. Mm -hmm. They won't call it fear. They'll say, oh, he's a regular, meaning he'll do something to you if you mess with him. So just get you somebody else to mess with. Right. Uh, and you had to demonstrate that because there's always somebody going to come, well, he ain't bad as me. Mm -hmm. And so you had to prove it. Right? Well, so, so, John, you, you had mentioned that you had stabbed somebody, but I, we didn't, you, you kind of, you mentioned that, but there, I didn't know the context of that. So what led to that? Well, I was at, I, they sent me to Cofield because they were building B01. And the reason they sent me to Cofield was because I grew up cutting trees, right? Okay, okay. Uh, at my grandfather's place. Okay. So they asked me, you know how to cut trees down? Because they needed to clear these woods to build the B01 unit. Mm. And uh, so I was like, yeah, man, I can, I can cut a tree in the wind. Drop it where you want it, you know. And <laughs> so they sent me to Cofield. And when I got there, it was fight every day, right? You have to fight every day. Yeah. And so they asked me, how much time you got? And I'd tell them life. And they'd say, for what? And I'd tell them murder. That's protection talk. You're just saying that so nobody will mess with you. And uh, you probably got two years for joyriding. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was, it was really a racist system back then as well. And not just from the white people either. I mean, right. everybody was like, hated everybody else, right? Mm. And so uh, this guy, you know, I'm not going to do names, but he said, oh, you white folks come to prison and find Jesus. Mm. What you need to do is pray to me because I'm black Jesus. I'm known somebody help you down here, meaning... Let me ride with me, right? Mm, right? Let me make you my punk. Let me get your money. And so he would, you know, he's some kind of golden gloves guy. He boxed all the time and um, all the time working out. And, and uh, told me, yeah, you lying, man. I know you lying. You're going to see. So I fought every day for a while. I was only on that unit three months. And uh, I was fighting all the time. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, this cat told me, yeah, you're going to see how it is today when we're going out. It was on commissary day. They called my commissary, my mm -hmm. wing to commissary. Mm -hmm. That morning we went out to work. So they jumped me in the field, the lead row, the tail row, the push lead, the push tail, two strikers, and the file boy. And four of them hold me, and the other three put the boots to me. And the boss turned his head because I couldn't keep up with picking cotton. And... uh that's what they said. When I got back to the wing, they took me to the infirmary. I had two cracked ribs, and uh, they kicked that tooth out. Damn. They kicked both my front teeth up to the roof of my mouth, and I reached up there and pulled them down, and this one lit. You know, it, it, it was okay, and the other one didn't come out. So, uh, yeah, they, they messed me up, cracked my jaw. and So I went to the infirmary. When I come back from the infirmary, they gave me a list for uh, $20. You could only spend $30 back then right. every two weeks, right? Give me a list for $20 and told me, man, you can you can uh, give us this every two weeks or you're going to get more of the same all the time. And so I already had a knife because this old guy in the penitentiary, I'll say his name because I doubt if he's alive now, but Joe Clyde Cody, okay. I'll never forget him. I'm fighting all the time and he told me, he said, John, listen, man. Wait, they call you they call you Dane Wood in prison. It's not John. I've been out eight years now. I'm used to John, but yeah. it was Dane Wood. 
you're going to have to get you a knife, man. And he said, I work on Beto as a welder. You get me a piece of steel, I'll make you a knife. Mm. I said, where am I going to get some steel, man? He told me, man, the penitentiary is nothing but steel. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. He said, just look. And so I was thinking about it, and I went, I went to Chow, and this old Mexican man was serving the beans. Well, the bean ladle was a, a bowl with a, with a three-eighths of an inch thick uh, by three-eighths of an inch wide handle mm-hmm. that was stainless. And it goed up like that, about that far, about that high, and hooked. And he was dipping my beans. And I, so I, I was like, I took it from him, right? Yeah. Stuck it in my sock, and it was hot. Hmm. Man, it burnt me, but I stuck <laughs> it in my sock and put my pants leg over it. And I looked at him, he said, give me your spoon. And I gave him the spoon. He said, get out of the chow hall. Don't eat. Go. Yeah. And so I left. You know how long it took me to break that bowl off? I don't know how long. Eight hours. Oh, man. I had to put it in the, in the toilet water. <laughs> Because it got hot. That took a long mm. time. But I broke that thing and I gave it to Joe Clyde Cody and he took it to Beto. He straightened the hook out, drilled two holes in there and put paneling nails. Like you put it, little bitty nails? Yes. He put them through the holes and then put a bicycle handlebar grip. That like, was your handle. And put it on there and packed it full of cement. Come on. And then he put it on a grinder and put a double edge all the way down it to a point like that. Come on. And he brought it back to me. And I had that when they gave me this. It was in my cell under my mattress and i just needed to get to my cell right well three of the guys that jumped me in the field met me on the wing and told me hey man you're gonna get assist and they jumped me on commissary day so they're calling in out for commissary one rope and so uh i said man this all you want money that's why i've been fighting every day all the time i'm all busted up you want money yeah i'd give you this a long time ago I got to go get my money book because they paid you. I don't know if you ever saw food stamps or that were in the little pack or I've what heard was about it? Them. Green stamps? They used to have green stamps. No, I've heard about yeah. that. Yeah, they come in like a little book almost. Book yeah, that's what it was, and that's Excuse what they paid you with, right? Okay, yeah. So that's you withdrew your money with that. If you didn't have any money in the account, you couldn't do it. But they printed it two weeks later. You got it. I had it in my cell, and you had to take it to commissary, and they'd pull a dollar, two dollars, whatever they needed to make the amount. Right out of there and give it back to you. Whatever you had left, you could go to the store the next time they called it. Well, yeah, I had that in my house, so I went and got it, and I put the knife down my pants leg like that in my shirt, and they didn't think nothing about me holding my ribs. I had that thing on for two cracked ribs, right? Right, right. I put it right there, and I put the money book in this hand, and uh, I just walked up to him and told him, man, you want my money? I'm going to give it to you now, and tossed it. When he reached up to catch it, I ran him through, mm. and his buddies left him. So that was what that was. I was trying to hit him in the heart. Really, back then, I was really trying to kill people. And uh, so I'm glad it didn't kill him Right now. But uh, back then, I was, like, stupid and ignorant and full of rage. And Yeah, but it, it does sound like these guys were trying to intimidate you, too, right? Oh, so no. They, they, and yeah, and one know, of the were, other guys. They had already put a whooping on you. And they were already trying to extort you, essentially. It was. For and, every commissary day. And so. then the other dude told me, yeah, and you're going to come up to my cell tonight. Yeah, he see, lived on two rows. Uh, and we're going to play some big six. But you already, you'd already he talked about rape me. You already talked about what you were going to do in the bus ride. Oh, yeah. From I Beaumont. already made my mind. You already made your mind. Yeah. This is what I got to do. And that's the mode I was in. And I thought, I really thought, I'm going to kill anybody that messes with me. And if not, they're going to have to kill me to keep me from killing them. Right. 
And so if they kill me, it's over, man. That's the only way I can discharge my sentence. Yeah. yeah you your, know? your suffering's over after that. Yeah. You're free. And I'm done. You yeah. Know? And so uh, I'm out of the cage. And the cage was always killing me, man. I, I, you know, you can do something about somebody in front of you. Sure. If you can't handle him, you can knock the back of his head off when he's walking the other way and not suspecting while he's watching Dallas Cowboys or Houston Texans. And, yep. and, you're, and it used to be Aurors. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Walk up behind them while they're watching TV and crack the back of their head open with an oak uh, toilet brush or whatever you can scrape up, right? Yeah, yes, sir. Uh, you can break your Aggie handle at work, and they'll give you another Aggie, and you can bring that piece back. Uh, just whatever you needed to do. And uh, uh, so I would tell people, Listen, man, the only thing I ask is to be left alone, and you're going to do that. Right. I'm going to be left alone because if you don't leave me alone, I'm going to kill you. And if, and if the only way you can stop me from killing you is if you kill me, and if you kill me, I'll be in the ground alone. Yeah. And if you do kill me, my people, I get visits all the time, and they're right. going to prosecute you to the fullest extent of the law, so you're going to spend the rest of your life down here. What you need to do is leave me alone. Mm -hmm. And people did, you know. I mean, every now and then you had to demonstrate. I probably... I probably heard a few people that maybe just had a headache. They looked at me wrong, mm, right? Okay. So yeah. what's your intention? Yeah. You know? and, and you can't ask somebody that in prison without, if they accept it, somebody's going to run over them. Mm -hmm. So it's like when you go, what are you looking at? And they go, what you want me to be looking at? Right. If they don't do that, if they go, what do you mean? That somebody's going to run over them. Oh, okay, yeah. So you it. It's a whole Weakness. cultural violence. Well, well Geesey had mentioned something like that, too. Yeah. And in our last uh, uh, podcast, he had mentioned how something happened where he was going to fight this guy, and yeah, the guy just, didn't want to fight. And he's like, and, and he was telling him, like, dude, like he already knew. Up. He's like, you've got to fight. No, I heard if that. If you don't. I heard, I heard yeah. him say that. Yeah. Yeah. Bitch. yeah. yeah. And, and, and the thing was, he was checking people right. for right. the Peckerwoods. That's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what a Peckerwood was. Was that not around when you were in? Yeah, but I didn't know what it was. It wasn't around where I grew up. I didn't oh. know nothing about Peckerwood, did you? Yeah. Till you heard of prison? Well, until I heard of prison, the uh, Peckerwood's Aryan Brotherhood. No, but like you, yeah, yeah, you don't know what a Peckerwood is, right? Yeah, right. Well, I knew Peckerwood, the term Peckerwood, I knew from like my grandparents. A Peckerwood is the equivalent of the N word for the blacks. Okay. Where I grew up, oh. they're hillbilly, incestuous, poor. Right. 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 So, so to call somebody that was to, in effect, do, it's different, but the same caliber of insult as, you know, the, the, N, -word. the N word. The N word, yeah. Okay. And so, uh, uh, man, that told me that I just got on him, man. I see you, Peckerwood. I heard you got you one over on Cofield, uh, Peckerwood. Yeah, right. I clocked him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You ain't calling he, me I that ain't, name. He ain't taking no disrespect from me. And, yeah, yeah. you know, man, what are you doing? That star's on your chest, man. That's accolades. What are you doing? We're down for you, man. You're a down wood, you know. And I'm like, man, I'm a Dane wood. Yeah. I'm not a Downwood. I'm not a Peckerwood. I'm a Danewood. And if your name ain't Danewood, I will kill you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was stupid, man. And, uh. It was, uh, and, and all of that, all of that, and I wasn't a violent kid. Yeah. You know. Before. Yeah, before I went to prison. Right. I wasn't. That's a any, I didn't, fight or flight. I didn't know anything about it. I just yeah. knew that, boy, look here, I've heard the stories. If you don't do it, well, boom, so you start, you know. Right. right. And, then, and then the raids mixed in with the brain damage and just awful, man. Yeah. I, I was, and, and 
and deep down I'm a good person, man. No, I, I want it. good. I, I wanted it then. But there is no good in prison, right? Right. It's hate. It's steel. It's concrete. It's razor wire. It's noise constantly. Noise is a form of torture. Yeah. It's sleep deprivation. It's, it's anything that is not good is what prison is. Right. It's isolation, separation. It's not being able to talk to your loved ones. It's your loved ones not understanding what you have to do to survive and the threat of them leaving you. It's, it's, prison is awful, okay? Yeah, and I understand, you know, the guards always say, should have thought about that before you committed that crime, boy. Right. Well, okay, I didn't. No one could possibly know that. Yeah. I mean, they don't show that, you know, at least not back then. No one knew how it actually was unless you were in there. Right. Unless you had been in there. And they concealed it. Yeah. Uh, to the nth degree. I mean, it was a, it was a closed... It's all hush hush. Oh yeah, and boy, and look here—if you were getting it out, they smashed you. So it's best just leave everything alone and just don't make any waves and roll through there as well as you can. Mm-hmm. And 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 the majors and the wardens were like, "I see you, boy." When I hurt somebody, I see you, boy. Uh, if I had a son in here, I'd want him to do what you're doing, you know, because they see both sides of it. Even the ones that they were taking care of because they were rats, they had nothing but contempt for them. Oh yeah, because you sold your integrity, right? Right. Nobody wants to admit that they'll sell their integrity. And uh, that was the one thing I had that wasn't for sale. I mean, I just was not going to give it up. Uh, I go to the ground with it. Well, right? your integrity, I think, is the reason why you even ran that guy through. Yeah. Because, you know, you're like, this, you're not going to be bullying me over. Well, I couldn't anything. have lived. It was, it was either death or, to me, a fate worse than death. Being somebody's tool or subjugated to whatever their whims and desires are, whether it's sexual or mon- monetary or or, I don't know, psychosomatic, whatever it is. You know, they're having a bad day, they make you a whipping boy, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're mad at a guy they can't do nothing to, so they come slap you, right? Right. Well, right. I'd rather be dead. And now there are people that would rather that than death. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that's wrong. No, no, no. I'm just saying. That's the kind of man you're built. It wasn't me. Right, right, and, right, uh, right. and whatever I had to do, I did. Yeah. But then when I started learning, man, yeah. They put me in this class, right? I couldn't take any education because they want you to be at least three years or two, I think now. Yeah. Back then it was three from getting out before they would spend money educating you other than your GED. They'd give you these uh, EA test scores, uh, I think. What, is e- what does EA stand for? Uh, educational Achievement, oh, Okay. I believe. Okay. But it stands for something to get you ready for the GED. Okay, okay. Your general education development. It's, it's ready for that. Mm-hmm. you got to pass that before you can take the GED test. Okay. So if you never pass that, you're stuck in this class. And people didn't care because it was, you know, it was a half a day out of the fields. Sure. And so there were people in there. Nobody was really in there to learn. And, and, and I was like, I, I have to learn. Yeah. And uh, so, but what I did was, is I turned this class around because when I went in there, uh, I just wrote on the board in white chalk on a blackboard, my TDC number. And uh, I wrote it up there. And they were all like, what are you doing? You know, they're cutting up in there. The, the, the teacher's over there with his head down. His name was Mr. Masters. I'll never forget him. Yeah. And uh, had his head down. And uh I just went in there and I told him, hey man, uh, can I borrow your chalk? He said, what are you doing in here? I wrote it up there. 
I told him, hey, man, you see that? That's a white chalk on a blackboard. If it was a blackboard, uh, it's a blackboard with white chalk. If it yeah. was a whiteboard, I'd have a black marker. And TDC does not care what color your skin is, mm. where you came from, where you're going. They get paid, I think it was like $60,000 a year then for each person to house them and uh, funded. Yeah. And so I told them, that's all you are is a number, man. That's it. And you guys are going to be a number for the rest of your life until you get a life sentence like me, right? I got it right out of the gate, but I'm going to learn. So you're going to pay attention in here, or I'm going to kick you. <laughs> I yep. mean, that's spend my whole life in prison or learn. Yeah. That's what it was with me. There wasn't any other thought. There was I have to learn or spend all my life in prison. Well, learn is something to do. Something I can do. How how long in the sentence were you it, it, but when you were in the EA class? Like how long? How much time had? No, had as soon you as you done? get there, as long as you're not in solitary, oh, okay. it's mandatory that you go to the EA class. What year? What year was this then? Nineteen seventy-nine. When you were in that class? Yeah, okay. uh, on Coalfield, and then and then when I went to East Ham, it was in December of nineteen. I guess nineteen eighty. Uh, December of 79, because I went to, in July of 79, I drove up on Coalfield. Right. I did some months in solitary, and in December of 79, they shipped me to East Town, and I got off the bus at East Town and did years over there. And then they, because of William Wayne Justice doing all the things that he did, they started what they called administrative segregation, where they took people that were too violent for the general population and they put them in the cage 24 hours a day yeah. and didn't let them out, right? It's called administrative segregation. And within administrative segregation, there was what they call super segregation. And that's total isolation behind two doors, chained everywhere you go, locked up, not just handcuffed, uh, total isolation. And uh, so if you were too dangerous for the general population, and when the gangs cropped up, they locked gang members up to try to control. They lost control of the unit when they did away with the uh, uh, building tenders and turnkeys yeah. they had to replace them with guards that weren't trained right and they didn't have enough couldn't hire enough oh yeah and so there was a power vacuum like you would not believe and the gangs cropped up that's when aryan brotherhood the aryan nations uh the mexican uh, uh texas mafia uh texas syndicate mexican mafia the mandingo yeah, warriors that, yeah. uh the, the uh prisoner defense self group was another black gang just boom they cropped up and uh and they started warring for different contraband control, right? And for different extortion control, and for all of the all of the crime control. Mm. Uh, and it was violent. the 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 year I believe it was the twelve months in between nineteen eighty four, somewhere in nineteen eighty four and nineteen eighty five, there were more killings in the Texas state penitentiaries uh, than all the other prisons combined. Oh, around the nation. Yeah. Wow. And, and, and that's according to the rank of the unit. Now, I don't have the facts. I didn't have them then. Sure. But I do know that there was on East Ham and different places, there were frequently chalk body. You were there. Where bodies I mean, were, you were there during that time frame you just yeah. mentioned. Yeah. I was, in so. there. I was a kid in there. Yeah. And uh, they, you know, you kill somebody, they draw a chalk line around it. Yes. Remove mm -hmm. the body. Yes. Uh, you, you see that frequently and uh, just 
I don't know, it was just, and the, the building tenders and turnkeys would put these green jackets on, right? They're, fleet, uh, they're uh, you know, nylon. Mm. They've got lining in them. Yes. They're quilted. Yes. Right? You know yes. what I'm talking about? That green jacket, the winter jacket. Yeah. They issued them to the, the turnkeys and building tenders, and they put bandanas on their head, right? So that they would know in a riot who's who mm -hmm. and they and they ran you down a gauntlet they built these tents to get everybody off the floor right they built tents inside the compound fence outside the building the main building and they put people with lesser amounts of time out there and and they lived in these tents and they burned them down because they were freezing out there and they ran them down a gauntlet of them guys with clubs man and just beat them down this whole line to bring them in the building yeah because the tents were on fire, tents were on fire. But uh, yeah, it was like that. And and you talk about it, and you tell people, and they don't believe you, that have never been experienced, or they don't have a loved one that was in it. Right. Even even people that have people in prison today find it hard to believe the, the level of brutality then. And don't get that twisted. It's brutal down there right now. They'll okay. kill you. You know what happens? Here's what happens. So they can't control you, and 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 if you file grievances. Now what they do is they have levels of custody inside the penitentiary, right? Okay. So they have penitentiaries with more serious custody, maximum security units, right? right. Medium security units, minimum security units. So within the, those units, there is different levels. So there's minimum custody, there's medium custody. And if you're on a, a, param, a, a form, a penitentiary with two perimeter fences, then there's also close custody. Mm. And then there's administrative segregation. And, and so you go from one to the other to the other. Well, what they'll do is if you have a violent record and you're not towing the line and right. you don't have anybody on the outside okay. worried about you, yeah. what they do is this. They'll, okay, I can't control you. I've tried everything. You're hard-headed. You, you, you ain't bending. Well, here's what they do. They hire one of their boys. They still got them. They're not building tenders and turnkeys, but this penitentiary's full of snitches that do the warden's work. Yep. They hire one of them to go fight you. And them guys can fight. They're not going to send somebody that can't fight. You sure. know what I mean? So they send one of these badasses at you. And then when you fight, they break it up, right? They write you a case for fighting without a weapon, which is violent, right? Mm -hmm. They write you a case for fighting without a weapon. And then they go hire somebody else of a different race to come do it, right? And then, and then you have two fights within, you know, a 30-day period. That means it's a major case. They, and now it's not just a fighting without a weapon case level one. It's fighting and within 30 days makes it a level two serious case, a next level. Right. And so they take more class in good time. And then they begin a history of showing you violent. And then they put you on close custody where you have to fight. They don't have anybody to come tell you. They don't have to hire anybody to come beat you up. You got to fight to show you'll get down when you get on close custody. So you have the fight over there, and guess what? The goon squad comes in and they break your neck while they're trying to restrain such a violent individual. Well, it's unfortunate, but these criminals are very violent, and sometimes they just snap. And when they do, in the effort to restrain them, sometimes fatalities occur. The officers in question have been placed on probation, and they've been mandated to take classes on how to uh, uh, restrain, De how, how to restrain an individual wow. that's very, yeah, that's, on, that's very uh, violent without causing a fatality or major injury. That, that goes back to what you had said earlier when you had talked about how Texas is going to find a way 
to almost bend these rules or do whatever they got to do. It's true. To, to, you know what I mean? They, to to cover their ass. They're shrewd. Right? There it is. But the one thing that the education taught me and the one thing that nobody wants to hear that's a prisoner or a prisoner's family, right? The one thing that you don't want to hear is prisoners are the dregs of society. Mm. Now, there are people that are there that are innocent. Now, God, man, I was guilty, so I was able to do mine. I don't know that I could have done all that time if I was innocent. Yeah. Golly, to be innocent and done like that? Right. Look, it happens. Oh, uh, yeah. But oh, yeah. everybody says they're innocent. Sure. So you're callous to that, right? Right. The guy that wrote The Thin Blue Line, I don't know if you've seen that movie. He was from Dallas. And uh, I worked with him in the garment factory. I was a clerk in there years later. And uh, he would tell me all the time, man, they framed me. Man, I'm not guilty. I'm telling you. And I'd tell him. And they, every day he cried. He ah, complained. Well, man, I, I, I don't want to hear that. I got enough to deal with without listening to you moan and groan, you know. And anyway, you're lying. Everybody yeah. in here is innocent. You know what I mean? Right. And so I treated him like that for, I don't know, two years, and he beat his case. See, because he was innocent. He was innocent. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, and they made the movie The Thin Blue Line. His yeah. name was Randy. Man, I forget his name, but I was real dismissive to this guy. Randy Dale Adams? Randall Dale Adams. There it is. I was that's him. Say, we can look that up right now. That's him. Did. Yeah, that's him. You, and, you uh, did time with this guy. Yeah, Randy, man, I'm sorry for the way I treated <laughs> you, bro. I mean, I thought you were just another dude whining, man. I I, I had no idea. Yeah. Shout out to Randy. Shout yeah, out shout to out to Randy, man. man. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry, dude. I got a couple of questions from the, from the public here. We got a, first of all, Dr. Dittman says hi. Uh, thanks for coming, uh, Amanda Burke and uh, Neil Gisi. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, Amanda is Neil's uh, fiance. Fiance, yeah. yeah. So uh, she says thank you. Um, and she asks uh, if you can give one piece of advice to somebody that is about to serve time in prison. What advice would you give them? Get an education, man. There it is. That was Gisi's answer. Yeah. The the thing is, knowledge is empowering, right? Mm -hmm. So. And I told them guys in them terrible classes, listen, man, you want to beat the system? Okay, that's your goal. Beat the system. This man is going to teach you all about the system. The art of war says know your enemy. Study them. Know them. If you look at the system as your enemy, learn how to beat it without getting caught, if that's what you think you can do. But the system's going to get you. For every brilliant mind, there are raid in the hundreds of brilliant minds to anticipate your every move, man. Yeah. That's a loser mentality. But if that's what you want to do, learn it, and they're going to give it to you. They're going to teach you the system. You just got to listen. What's their incentive to offer these education, these classes? Whose incentive? No, the prison system. Didn't, oh, it's rehabilitation. Listen. Didn't you say there's money involved, too? Oh, there's a lot of money. Yeah, the, well, every seat, you got to put a butt in the seat or you get a, bun, a budget cut, right? Right. So they want to keep it going, and they're trying to keep it going. The rehabilitation... Efforts are real. The teachers that come in, they're not guards and, and, and like that. They are free world teachers, teachers yeah. that come in to try to impart to you. They want to have a positive impact in your life mm -hmm. so that you can succeed. They're invested in your future. Yes. That's why they come do what they do for little pay, right? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're at danger in there because if oh, the yeah. farm rights, the women are going to get raped, the men are going to get beat up, yeah. but you'd be surprised at the people, and I was one of them, right? That if it went down, 
I would stand for the teacher. Yeah, you'd protect him. Hey, man, back up, dude. You got to go through me to get to her, mm-hmm. to him, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because they are just good people doing good work, doing good things in a place where no good exists. Yeah. Right? So the one thing that I would tell anybody all the time, prisoners that are going, is get an education. And if you can't get in the education department, because there is situations where you're no longer able to be enrolled in it. Families out there that have people in prison, man, spend your money on books. Mm. And one thing I would tell all the families of all the prisoners is visit. Just visit, man. My mama came and visited me for the whole time I was in prison. Mm. She's in my house right now, and I'm taking care of her. She's 90, and uh, my family told her because of all the violence that they didn't understand that I had to do. And I did a lot of stuff I didn't have to do, too. No, I'm not some yeah. innocent guy. No, I know. Yeah, right? But, yeah, but, yeah, but the family was like, Patsy, that's my mom. Patsy, what are you doing? You're spending your money. You're driving two hours to visit him. He ain't never going to change. He gets you convinced he's going to change, and then he hurts somebody else. And anyway, it doesn't matter why. They'll never let him out. His violence down there is too much. They're never going to let him out. He's doing a life sentence. Almost like give up on him is what they're That's what they're telling, telling him. And my mother's answer was to a T every time. That's not the God I serve. Mm-hmm. I'm praying for my son. And he will be delivered. It may not be in my lifetime, but he will be delivered. And I will stand by him. And she did. So if my mother, if I hadn't have had the incentive to not want to cause my mother any additional pain after I'd already caused all the pain in the world and all the financial crisis, the division in the family with my actions, the one thing I didn't want to do was hurt my mother further needlessly. Right. Some people you have to hurt, brother. I mean, in prison, some people you have to hurt them, or you have to do your time a whole different way if you don't. Right. Some things have to be done. So the families out here need to understand that isolation is a torture, right? Deprivation is a torture in itself. Yeah. And in there, uh, Gizzi talked about the noise. It's constant. Yeah. <coughs> TV's blaring, football games, people hollering and screaming, guards going off, uh, you know, count buzzers ringing, humming, your fan humming all the time, bright lights across the wall from you shining into your face. Just uh, horrible conditions for any human to have to endure. Okay, I get it. You know, most of the guys are guilty. I was. Most of the guys deserve some form of separation and punishment. I certainly did. But it doesn't make any uh, positive uh, momentum for the family to abandon that person. Now, look, I understand the families that they've been in and out two or three times. They've used up the family, and they've – at some point – you have to cut that off. Yeah, it's like they're, they're, they're like can't get rights. Or and I'm not, yeah, and I'm not saying enable people to continue in their bad habits either. No. But if there's any hope 
If you just don't, if you just have it in your mind, I'm talking to family members that have people in prison now, not not prisoners. Right, right. If there's any inclination in your mind that there's something, anything salvageable in the person that you've lost in your family that's confined, you need to stand by that person to the best you can. Mm. And you got to understand that they're dealing with pressures like you would not believe. I mean, pressures that you would never dream of. They're dealing with it. They're not telling you about it because they don't want you to worry. They're trying to protect you from that. They don't want to admit the situation they're in. Whatever the thing is that they're not telling you, there's tons you don't know. Tons. You don't know the anguish they're going through. You don't know any of that. And if your presence is not there to keep them rooted into someone with love, they live in a world of hate. And if they live in a world of hate and everything around them is violence and hates and razors and, and noise and, and confusion and on top of the hurt of being away from you, it's tough, man. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you it's tough. And I'm telling you that I know it's tough. Let me, let me, let me do this. Can I read one of these? Yes, of course. Absolutely. I wrote these poems. Now, look, I wasn't some, you know, it took me a long time to get any kind of education. And I wasn't a guy that understands stanzas and how many syllables go where. This is just raw emotion of uh, probably a 21-year-old, some 22, uh, when I got to where I could write. Uh, and when I could articulate what I felt with my pen, uh, I wrote some of this, right? And so... Uh, I'm trying to find where it starts. Powerful message. Yes. Powerful message. Oh, yeah. Don't so, give up on them. Yeah, I don't give up, man. And, and prisoners, man, if there's one thing I would tell you is do not give up. Hold your head up. Don't be subjugated by the dismissal attitude that you're uh, a drag of society, even if you are. You can get out of that, man. I did it. I'm living proof, man. And, and it was God in my life. There's very little spiritual uh, connections in fact, there's none that's mandatory in, in, in the prison system. You need that. You need a spiritual connection. You need God. And I, and I don't know that a lot of people don't believe in God or any of that, but when, that, when there's no one else to love you, God will. Mm. And that Bible, the precepts and principles in that Bible, if you live by them, you're going to have a good life. You're going to be surrounded by people that have good lives. They ain't going to be perfect. They're going to let you down, but everybody will. And, 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 and that would be the one thing other than education that I would tell you is uh, get a spiritual connection because without it, man withers and dies. And I don't care if you believe it's your spiritual energy. I don't care if you believe it's Yahweh or, or, or Buddha yeah. or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But you have to have a purpose to keep going when there is every reason to give up. And that will provide it. Amen. So this first one, uh, let's see. This one's called for just one day. For just one day, drive to the edge of the world and peer out into the darkness and wonder what lays just beyond the realm of the heartless. For just one day, look out into space upon the emptiness of years made into ages and wonder who laid the plans and who turned the pages. For just one day, allow your mind to feel the deadness of space so desolate and cold and in an instant feel the bones in your body chill and become cold. 
For just one day, see that which you can never have and yearn to reach out and take hold and live in a world where the Liberty Bell no longer rings its toll. For just one day, imagine birds without the freedom to use their wings to fly and live each day in confusion as you keep asking the question why. For just one day, be sure that you're in hell where everything is miserable and blue and cry out for help while the whole world turns its back on you. For just one day, force yourself to be silent as the love of your friend slowly erodes and then fill your heart as it turns to hard as it turns hard with hate and then slowly corrodes. For just one day, sit and mumble to yourself while your sanity slowly fades away and then you'll know how people in confinement spend every single day. Mm. And it ain't just every day. It's every second, every tick of the clock. Can I read one more? Of course, yeah. Beyond Sanity's Realm is the name of this. Silently I travel within the shadows of my mind, walking forward within my skull into the lands I've left behind. I pass through images and memories of times that are long past as I feel the chill of death like the sting of old Jack Frost. I stumble through the corridors without purpose or cause, searching for a pleasant place in which to rest or pause. But rest will not come, and peace remains just out of reach. And though I grow weary of the search, I still cannot find sleep. I long to retrace my steps and escape the mazes of my mind, but with every step I take, the walls close in behind. I know not why I continue or exactly for what I search, just as an unborn infant knows not why he fights for birth. However, just like the infant, I cannot lay down the quest, for to do so means to die a silent and unnoticed death. So I search the darkness in order to meet with my fate while hoping I'll step out of my head to find sanity before it's too late. When you live in an insane world, that's what it does. The, and, and all of these are like that. Uh, just raw emotion that I wrote when I was a kid, uh, 20-something, young 20. And uh, I see you have it in this, in this collection right here. Any, any thought about publishing it like you, like you did this book here? No, I never really thought about it. I, I, uh, I also wrote a Western, too, for my mother asked me to write a book, so I wrote her a Western. A Western but uh, yeah. uh, the one thing that I would tell you if you can't convey, convey what you feel on paper, and a lot of people can't, is that read everything you can get your hands on. Fiction, mm -hmm. nonfiction, just read book after book. I've read thousands mm -hmm. in, in the years I was confined. And, and, and you begin to think like the characters you read about. You begin to speak like what you're reading. And it'll do more for your wisdom of how to navigate society, whether that society be a prison society or whether it be a free world society or a work right. environment. Um, you know where to draw the lines. You know you're able to read people to see who the bullies are and who the users are, and who the people are just don't have a clue who they are with no will, you know, ill will. Yeah. Uh, just read, mm -hmm. and that comes with education. Right. So the one thing you need to do, prisoners, is learn, man. Don't let them rob you of learning. Uh, well, if it's one thing I can say is, uh, <clears throat> I mean, I can tell you're very well spoken. So you've obviously read a lot, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's one thing I did want to touch on when you said um, how it's not just every day, it's every second, right? I mean, yeah. and, and they say time flies when you're having fun. Well, the exact opposite is true as well, right? Yeah. So, I mean, time moves slowly in prison when you're not having fun, when you're having misery, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, just think of it right now. We've uh, been talking for an hour. It's flown by, right? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, days fly by, weeks turn into months and, and whatnot. I mean... Out here. Out yeah, here, out right. Here, but right. but in there, I mean, it's 
I bet time moves so slowly. I mean, think about this. Have you ever counted like the seconds in one minute? Seems, you know how many seconds are in 35 years, I, I 10 bet, months, I and seven do. days? I bet you do. I did one time. It's in the billions. I forget. <laughs> I mean, just recently I passed a kidney stone. Can you imagine oh, how how many, how, how long that felt? That that hour yeah. felt like an eternity. Yeah. I can yeah. imagine how. Yeah, well, now, now, now face that hour exactly. as if it's never going to end. Yeah. Exactly. And have everybody, uh, everybody in authority telling you, look, John. But Dane would pick you a cell because mm-hmm. you're going to be here for a long time. Just whichever cell you want when you get transferred, like ad seg, out of ad seg somewhere else. Yeah. Just go. They open up a new wing and they're filling it. Yeah. Pick you a cell, Dane would. Make yourself at home. You ain't never getting out. So uh, you get first dibs. Mm-hmm. Right? You're never getting out is what you hear. You're never getting out or you'll be back. I heard Geesey say uh, that they stand at the gate and uh, say, we'll keep the light on for you. Yep. I believe is what he said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some form of that is what they say every people that go out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and it's a defeatist realm of the defeated with the people in charge. Not all of them. There's some good people that are, but they're, they're, restrained and restricted from exercising the totality of their good desires by the system right because again the inmates take advantage of oh, that yeah. warp it into something else so right. i was going to say a while ago that uh, prison is the dregs of society you're in unless you're innocent and there's there's some not a lot what percentage do you think are innocent no, I can't put a number on it. I bet I bet it's less than one percent. How about that? I mean, I mean, Maybe. even if you say even uh-huh. if you say it's less than ten percent. Oh, okay, sure. Ten percent. Right. Uh, I don't know how many people are in prison now. It's, we need to just run some numbers real quick, but I don't know. Yeah, you you, you hear the cases, but they're very rare. Right. Well, it's like you know, Randy. Yeah. One. Yeah. But. Everybody, Everybody says they're innocent. Right. So right. how do you know? And Randy taught me that. How do you know? But. Yeah. But for the most part, right. you've done something, you did what they said you did, or you did a bunch of stuff leading up to it they couldn't catch you for, so they just convicted you of that. That's frequent. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you were an accomplice or something. Something, or something. yeah. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a, a negative pool of hatred, anxiety, fear, frustration, and a constant uh, deluge of you're worthless, you're never going to amount to anything, you ain't getting out or you'll be back. Mm-hmm. You ain't getting out or you'll be back. You ain't getting out or you'll be back. Well, I had this thing in my head. You could ask me just about anything you wanted to, but you can tell me nothing. Right. Right? And if you said I can't, I'm going to show you that I can't. There it is. Even as a brain-damaged, dumb uh, violent idiot. Yeah. That's the one thing that that kept me there. Oh yeah. So you that, say I'm coming back, huh? Is that motivation really? Yeah, I, yeah, right? yeah. And 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 the thing with me was I hated the cage. Mm-hmm. It's not natural for a man to be in a cage. Right. It's a cage, man. It's not a cell. It's not incarceration. They put you in a cage and treat you like an animal. It's a freaking cage. They feed you when they want to feed you, right? right? They bring you bed sheets. I started to say fresh, but <laughs> <laughs> even when they're clean, they, 
I didn't know they weren't fresh until I got out and got into some at home, you know. Mm. But, uh, you know, one thing that Giese said was, well, I'm out of prison, so I'm grateful, you know, about everything. Yeah. And uh, I am, too, man, you know. Uh, when I, when I, and I still do it every now and then. I'll be driving over a bridge, mm-hmm. elevated. You don't see that when you're in prison. It's just razor wire and fence and woods and sure. You know, you don't have any open view, and I'll get up over something, especially like just where you can see over everything, overpass or something, and just and 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 I know in that moment, listen, man, I'm free, right? Right, and I'll just start crying, man. Not not tears of frustration or depression or insanity, just gratitude. Sure, right, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, you survived, man. Yeah, and 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 and. The state of Texas does not let people who pled guilty for life to avoid the, sec- the death sentence out of prison. They make you serve your whole sentence and die in prison. Yeah. They feel like you got lucky that you didn't get the lethal injection, so they make you do your sentence. Yeah. And if you have violence in your, in your history of prison, extreme violence, you know, then you just don't get out. So it sounds like you weren't supposed to get out. Um, I wasn't. So that's there's the. But gratitude. let me tell you this too. God has a hand in everything, and if you don't believe in God, that's okay. But I will tell you that the system that they have in place, the one thing they have, the one mandate they have, the parole officers, the people in charge of releasing you, the one mandate they have is to protect society, and that's how it should be. So I used to ask people in prison, right? inmates mm-hmm. uh, I was a Republican and that's not very popular in prison that most people are Democrats or liberals and they would be angry with me for what they said was being for the people that were keeping them in prison for a long time taking away the good time taking away the short way discharges and all those different things build them and we'll fill them keep them locked up we'll legislate harsher and harsher laws where you do uh, a third of your time, you do 50%, you do 80%, and just keep you locked up. And uh, But the thing is, with the fact that I would do that, and then I would just ask them, well, look around. The day room's got, I don't know, 80 people in it maybe? Sure. 60, 70, 80 people? Yeah. Look around. And they'd go, what? I said, look at all these people, man. I'm not talking about race, just all of them. Look at all of them. And tell me how many of these that you would feel comfortable taking home and setting them down with your wife, your mother, and your daughter for a meal, and then you getting up and go buy a six-pack or or some sodas or something and leave them there. Yeah, I'll be right back. Yeah. How many? How many? They were like, fucking none. That's a bunch of damn fools, huh? I wouldn't take none of them. <laughs> and, and there might be somebody that knew somebody in the world. They're doing time together. Y'all would take him. I grew up with him. Well, what about the rest? These people that are in charge of classifying you, yeah. of monitoring you, of deciding when to let you out, they are brilliant in this state. New York, New Mexico. Them big penitentiaries that went off, Texas said, we ain't doing that no more. We used to build them like that. Now we're going to build pods everywhere. And we're inside these units that we build separate everywhere in these communities to, to get the windfall of the economy, we're also going to build separate pods inside of pods to make the penitentiary. Mm. 
so we can control these inmates. So they'll never have the power to come together in a, at a, as a whole group and, and, and buck us, right? Right. Yeah. And all that. So that's Texans, man. And I'm a Texan. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be anything else. Yeah. I, I, I mean, Same. people people that have been to prison want to go to California in Texas, oh, most of them. Yeah. I'll get out of this state when I get out of here. I'm get out of this state. And I thought, man, I'm a Texan, and I'm going to stay here, and I love this state. Amen. And, uh, and, I, and I had to write for a long time to uh, parole officers and stuff to uh, make parole. And uh, I asked the chairman of the Board of Pardons and Paroles, Miss Rissy Owens, I said, uh, I would ask you one question, just one. How many changes have you made in the last 30 years? Oh, you talk, you, you no, I'm just, no, well, you too. Oh, excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry. You too. If but you, you had wrote to the poor. I'm sorry. I yes. wrote to the person that yeah, was over the, person, the parole board. You asked her that. How many sorry. changes have you made in the last 30 years? Right. And of those changes, how many of them made you a better person because they were mistakes you made that you learned from that you'll never do again? Mm. I just asked for the same benefit of the doubt. Mm. I've never been out. Let me out one time. If I get out of here and do anything except be a community contributor, violate my parole and send me back, and I'll never attend another parole here. Yeah. Just give me one shot because nothing out here is as important as my freedom. Now, to me, and, and you don't have to believe in God, but to me, God is everything. Yes. God saw me through all that. God got me out when I couldn't be got out. I had prison ministers lined up, uh, you know, writing letters of support. I had community leaders uh, and, and, and since I've been out, I've become ordained as a, as a licensed minister, uh, and I preach and teach at the church where I was at. We've since closed the building because we don't have the congregation support anymore to keep it open. But we still are a church. But uh, I've been to Nicaragua on a mission trip, but I told her, yes, listen, man, if I get out here and do anything other than what I said I was going to do, be a community contributor, then send me back. And I won't even ever ask you to let me out. Right. And... Uh, and, and, and they finally did. But, of course, it took 16 years of set-offs being told no after I was eligible. That very first letter written to the parole board, 16 years from there, then you were finally released. Well, no, I wrote before, I, before the first time I come up for parole, I wrote the parole board a couple oh. of years for. Okay. So I did 18 years, and I started writing. I had already been uh, years of being able to articulate myself well. Right. Let me tell you the one thing that I can say that I believe you can get a visual of in prison. So in prison, uh, you've dug a hole for yourself, mm -hmm. right? So if you can equate that to digging, right? Well, you've dug a hole. So you're in prison because you've dug a hole so deep for yourself that you can't climb out on your own. Right? right? But there's stuff in this hole with you, man. There's the EA. There's the GED. There's vocational. There's spiritual classes. There's uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. There's substance abuse classes. There's uh, all of those things. Yeah. I took all of them, and I don't have that problem. I mm -hmm. took them all because they have to do with thinking. Right? So, so if you use everything that's available to you that you're allowed to do in the rehabilitative program, mm -hmm. Take the AA, take the substance abuse, take whatever counseling, take religious classes, take scholastic classes, do everything you can to broaden your mind, then you've used every piece of, of debris in the hole that you've dug to build a ladder. And every piece of that is a rung. Right. 
Now, let me tell you something. Unless you've got a sentence you can do long way flat, you can't build a ladder high enough. But you can build it using everything at your disposal just short of ground level to where you can't get out. But if somebody reaches down and gives you a hand up, you can get back to ground level. Mm -hmm. And I wrote that to the parole board and told them, listen, man, you show me something else I can do and I will do it. I have done everything that my classification and my time allows me to do. And, and I ain't done what a lot of other people have. I don't have master's degrees, but I've done everything I can that you allowed me to do. And if you allow me to do more, I'll do more. Right. But my ladder's too short. Somebody's going to have to reach a benevolent hand down and get me back to ground level. And when you get me on ground level, if I don't move forward as a community contributor, send me back. I don't want to be just somebody that stays out of prison. I don't want to just be out here. And, and if, I don't, if I'm not contributing to whatever, my family, to anybody, if I'm out here being a detriment to society or a drag on society, send me back and you won't hear from me no more. It hasn't been like that, though, has it? Oh, no. Eight years. Man, I hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, 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 and I don't mean running directionless. I don't mean, ah, oh, I'm out of the cage and gone. Yeah. I mean, focused. And, 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 and all my time, I thought, man, what's it going to be like when they tell me I make parole? Man, how am I going to feel? That's going to be fantastic. Because I never... I had everybody telling me, you'll never make parole. You'll never make parole. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. You're going to be here. Man, if it does happen, man, if it does happen, how good is that going to feel, man? Yeah. God, I hate this cage, you know? And then, and then by the time I got out, I was so committed to helping people. And in fact, I wrote this book from a guy. I was a spiritual leader in the chapel. Okay. And I'm going to get sideways to this That's just cool. a second. Yeah, perfect. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a spiritual leader in the, in the chapel. There were three of us. And uh, this guy came to church and told me, pray with me, Dane Wood, because I'm going to go home and, and go back to my cell and kill myself. Man, I can't take this. And I was like, well, why would you do that? He said, man, you don't know the things I've done. You have no idea the things I've done. There's nothing but death for me. I'm, I'm going to go back to my cell and kill myself. Just help me pray and say goodbye to Jesus. I don't even want him to ask, him, ask me to forgive me because, man, the things I've done, just, I just want to say goodbye. In other words, I know I'm going to hell. I'll never see him. You know, that's his thinking. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, it's what I deserve. Just help me say goodbye to Jesus. Pray with me. I tell him, no, I'm not going to do that. I ain't going to do that, man. What I'll do for you is I will go write you a paper of all the things God says about suicide. Now, I can't tell you that you're going to go to hell if you kill yourself. I can't tell you it's a ticket to heaven if you're saved. I can't tell you any of that. But I can go look up the scriptures and give you a list of scriptures, what they mean, and I'll write you a paper on what God views of, of suicide because you obviously believe in God, and if you believe in God, you're going to stand before him. So I want you to know what kind of temperament he's going to be in when you get there. Mm -hmm. The Bible is full of scriptures that say persevere. Right. Blessed are those that persevere, right? right? Blessed are those that keep going in the face of defeat. Blessed are those that seek, draw close to God, right? So I wrote him this, and, and it doesn't say that you're going to hell if you kill yourself. It doesn't say that you're going to heaven if you're saved and you kill yourself because nobody knows that. You know, nobody does. 
So nobody can tell you that. But I can tell you that suicide is not the answer that will please God. He wants you to trust him, to see him, to get you through what you're going through. And if you do that, if you'll do that, he'll bless you on the other side because what, everything is temporary. Yep. Right? No matter how long, no matter how hard, no matter just the 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 connectivity of the badness that's on you, the harshness of your circumstances, no matter where you're at in life. What hole you're in, what log you're under, how many people are piled on top of you, no matter how many people are pushing you down, it's temporary. 36 years is temporary. And you go, what? It's a long time. But it is. And if you just keep moving, keep moving, and do not accept defeat, if you just keep adding to your tools information, information, there's no such thing as too much information. None. Just gather it in, soak it up, and use it to keep moving forward. And when they put an obstacle in front of you that you can't go forward anymore, do what they do in football and keep your feet moving. Push, Mm -hmm. push, push. And eventually, you're going to work your way around the wall. You're going to work your way over the wall, or you're going to knock that sucker down. I promise you, man. I promise you. Just keep moving. It's temporary, all of it. Amen. Uh, So uh, Dr. Dimon asked uh, if you could describe your first week reintegrating back into society and uh and what what was the most important resource you had to help you uh reintegrate successfully okay so i'm a pastor right i preach yeah okay so uh i know that there are a lot of people listening that are that are uh intellectually don't choose to believe in god or have reason not to and that's fine it's good god's not going to take your free will from you and I certainly won't. And I don't look down on you or anything. But I want you to know that I, I dedicated myself for 15 years to walking with God. Walking with God. I had people asking me on the unit, man, how do you do it, John? You walk around here with a smile on your face, happy all the time, like you got two years and you're going to home on Friday. <laughs> what is it, man? And I told man, it's the freedom I have. It's the peace I have that God has given me, right? Mm-hmm. So so I was doing all of that, and then and, and I was leading men to the comfort and peace that comes with a faith that is sustainable and real. And then men begin to say to each other, not to me, man, there ain't no use in me becoming a Christian, man. Nobody walks for God like Dane would in this place, man. And God ain't getting him out. He ain't, you know, they equate being free with being out of prison. Mm-hmm. I was free inside the penitentiary because I had peace and joy in a world where there's no light and there's no happiness. I had that, and I was at peace. And I was helping people to not kill themselves. I was helping people to manage the unmanageable through my faith and through my strength, God through me. So, look, all that time I was thinking, man, what's it going to feel like when I step on the other side of that gate and breathe my first breath of freedom, man? What is it? Oh, God, that's going to be great. I mean, I was keyed up like that. Right, right. When I didn't... Really feel like I was ever going to get out. But I did this for years in the chapel. And then men said it to me. That book right there is the King James authorized version of the Bible. So I'm going to show you something here. So... 
I'm following God, I'm teaching, I'm mentoring, I'm preaching on the rec yard, I'm preaching in the chapel, I'm preaching sermons, I'm, 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 I'm writing letters, I'm doing things, I'm congregating, I'm, I'm quelling riots, right? Where you go to the rec yard, you go to the gym, and Mexicans are over there, blacks are over there, whites are over here, and they're all congregated, and somebody's seeing what side they're going to be on when it goes down, and the people are in the riot gear, the guards, they have their ninja total suits on. They got the tear gas out there. They got the video cameras. And they're wanting it to happen because if they don't use their riot gear, they don't use their tear gas, they get a budget cut. Mm. It's like that, brother, just like that. And so I'd go out there and quell it. Well, men said to me, you see this date right here? It says uh, July 12th of 2014. July 12th of 2014. Yeah. I had another guy tell me, oh, dang wood, man, ain't no use of me doing that Christian thing, man. Uh, God ain't getting you out. He sure ain't going to get me out because I can't walk like that. So I went to my cell and I got on my knees and I was crying to God, Lord, man, my very relationship with you is a stumbling block. Mm -hmm. It's driving men away from you. Mm. I'm my, 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 Witness here is no longer good. And so I'm going to ask you, are you going to release me at this next parole process? I wasn't even up yet, right? Right. I, it was a couple of months before I would come up. And uh, I was like, before I could get the word process out of my mind, are you going to release me at this next parole process? I will. And I was like, it wasn't a voice outside of my head, but it was so dominant in my mind, yeah. it cut me off from my train of thought, I right. will. Right. And I was like, oh, Lord, wait a minute. I don't know if that's you or me wanting it so bad that I'm just attributing it to you. I, got, I want it, I want it, I want it. And, and, and so I'm going to ask you again. And then, and, then, and then I slowed down. And if you don't believe in God, you can picture this you know, anyway. Here's God, and I'm, I'm talking to him like he's hard of hearing or he's slow right so i tell him are you going to deliver me at this next parole prop i will and i was like oh gee i started crying man i said all right look i'm gonna have to be doubting thomas i'm gonna have to put my fingers in the nail holes and reach into your side i'm just gonna i'm gonna have to be doubting thomas you're going to have to you show me that it's really you because, man, I, I want to believe it so bad. I don't know if it's you or if it's me. Give me some kind of confirmation. And when you do, I, I used to watch this, uh, uh, the NCIS with mm -hmm. that dude, oh, uh, yeah. Gibbs, yeah. and he'd, he'd slap him in the back of the head, pop, when they were, you know, when he was proud of them or they were cutting up or whatever, get it done. And uh, I said, so when you give me confirmation, just slap me in the back of the head like Gibbs, so that I know that it is. And if you're going to keep me here forever, I'll serve you to my dying day mm -hmm. in this penitentiary. But that's not a good witness. My witness is no longer good. People are not coming to you because you're not getting me out. What would be a good witness is if you got me out of here in such a way that nobody could doubt that it was anything but you. Nobody. Right. So I'm going to ask you one more time. And I asked him, I will. So this was Friday night. Saturday morning, I went to church. I was a spiritual leader. Right. We circled up in a group and held hands because we prayed to usher the Spirit in, and we prayed for different people's uh, needs in the, in the congregation and 
in the prayer circle, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I had implemented a procedure on there where they would ask somebody and not tell who to read a scripture. That way they had to get in the Bible, right? right. They, we were in the choir. And so it was the choir leader that did that. And uh, so the choir leader said, who's going to read the scripture, right? And I, the spiritual leader, was fixing to call on somebody. Right. And the Holy Spirit told me, you read it. So I took this. This fits in your shirt pocket, by the way. I don't I have a that. pocket here. Yeah. But I carried it everywhere I went. And I was wearing them pullover shirts that hung down on there all mm -hmm. the time. I didn't mm -hmm. care. I carried it everywhere I went. Mm -hmm. And so the Holy Spirit said, you read it. So I pulled it out and I cracked it open. I said, what scripture, man? I'm thinking it's a scripture for, that somebody needs to hear, right? I'm, I'm, I'm the leader. Man, give me a scripture for them. Right. And then I read the following words. This is Acts. And it's chapter 20, reading from 24 to about 28. Okay. But none of these, this is Paul. Right. He's fixing to go to Jerusalem to die, right? Okay. Okay, so that's what it, the context is. But in this instance, it was my confirmation. Watch this. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all, now I'm talking to these people that I've been teaching for three years, Bible right. study, I took part of their choir rehearsal and implemented a Bible study. Mm -hmm. They resented that because mm -hmm. they're in there to sing and play the instruments, right? And now ye all, among whom I have not, I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. And I knew right then that was my confirmation of two in the morning on my knees when I was asking him, let me know if you're going to get me out. They're saying, you're not going to see, they're not going to see you no more. I'm telling them. Yeah. And then I knew the scripture was for me. Right. I, you know, and listen, it gets specific. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone Preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. They were angry with me for implementing the, the Bible, Bible, study, Bible study on their, on their instrument and choir time. Well, uh, and, and the fact that I'm pure from the blood of all men, right? Mm. So, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God, I told them things they didn't want to hear. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, grievous wolves shall enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also that of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the span of three years, I have ceased not to warn everyone night and day and with tears. I had been a spiritual leader for three years. Wow. After I left, what, what happened was I knew that was my confirmation. Yeah. So I'm in this circle. I just broke loose, started crying, went got on my knees. I knew that I knew that I knew that I was going home. Yeah. Now listen, I had 16 years worth of set-offs that all said I was too violent for society. Right. Right? And I had a record that proved that I was. Right? Right. I knew right then I was going home. So I went to the altar and I laid down. I got on my knees and I started crying, man. I thank you, Jesus. 
right? And a friend of mine come up and said, his name was Smitty, come up, Daniel, what's wrong, man? I said, man, I'm going home. I didn't even know you was up for parole. I said, oh, well, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, uh, you could see the worry come on his face because that happens a ton in prison. Oh, right, yeah. To prisoners. They grasp on one last hope, and when it don't happen, they kill themselves or they get on psych meds. Now, that, y'all were talking uh, with Gisi about the drugs mm-hmm. that they're taking, that they're getting the medication and taking, that they're prescribing. Right. Well, people are going down there and getting them drugs so they can get high. What, what people don't know, and listen to me, families of prisoners, Tell them that when you do that, you're not getting high. You're changing the balance of the chemical makeup of your brain, which causes the way you think to be altered. So that's how they control you. They suppress this chemical release. They enhance this chemical release. And, and the synopsis fire in a different way, and it makes you docile, pliable. It makes you think differently. That's what they do. But what they don't tell you is that when you decrease one and increase another, it stays that way. Hmm. Right, so that they have to adjust your medications all the time. Psych meds have to be adjusted. That's why, because you're getting it from a source that's changing the chemical makeup of your brain, and you weren't crazy before you started taking it to get high. You will be if you take it long enough, man. Right, because it's messing with your mind. So he got worried because he thought, "Hey, you're clinging yeah. to one so, last hope." So yeah, he yeah. thought, "Oh God, this is it, man. Yeah. He's not even up for parole. He says he's going home, and ain't nobody." Texas ain't going to let him out. Nobody right. gets out with his record. So after I said, yeah, you're tripping, man. That's okay, though. I'm going to wave at you when I get on the Bluebird. Right. That's what they call the chain bus out Right, there. right, right. So that's the brand of bus. So, right. so I tell him, man, you're tripping. So I went in after the service and told the chaplain that, hey, man, I'm going home, man. He said, yeah, well, I didn't even know you was up for parole. I said, well, I'm not. He said, oh. There it is, same well, thing. Well, you know that you're stepping out on faith here, right? I told him, faith ain't got nothing to do with this. He was like, what? I said, yeah, this ain't faith. Faith has nothing to do with me going home. Can't nobody stop me from going home. He looked at me. I said, God's word does not return to him void. And he spoke to me that I was going home, and I'm out of here, man. Yeah. Ain't nothing you can do to stop it. Yeah. So, you, so you knew then. Yeah, and it's months before. Well, it was several weeks before I came up, uh, like eight, seven, eight weeks. And I came up for parole. I went in there and told them they have a box like this full of resumes. Every time I come up for parole, I got letters of endorsement, letters of proof of employment, proof of residency. Right. I've got everything. Everything Boxes. you need. I take whole things that I make like this in there, packed with a table of contents, everything, for support for letting me out. Right. I didn't take anything. This last time when I came up, I took nothing. I, nothing. I just went in there. Yeah. And she got this box and set it up there and says, uh, Mr. Danewood, do you know you're up for parole? I was like, yeah. I'm going home and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. And she was like, what? I said, all I'd ask is just pray and write whatever you think you need to write on that deal because whatever you write in there is going to be the impetus for me getting out. I don't care if you write that I'm I'm hearing voices, I'm delusional, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Whatever you write is going to send me out of the penitentiary, one way or the other. Yeah. And she's like, what? I said, are you a Christian? She said, yeah. I said, pray before you write and write it. Why, why are you saying this? Where's all your support? I told him, my support is up there. And I ran it down to her, and she said, man, I've never heard from God. I wish I could, but uh, I am a Christian. And I'm not going to write that you're delusional in here, but uh, I told him, just write what you got to write. It was the shortest thing I ever did. I walked out. Yeah. So now everybody is like, Phew. 
and the penitentiary word spreads like a fire in Quick. the wind. So they knew what you said there. Well, no, they knew that I thought I was going home. Oh, that. Okay, and I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't up for parole. I'm starting the process. Right. right. So I've been telling them the whole time I've been waiting to come up for parole. I'm going, ain't nothing you can do about it. I'm going to wave at you when I get on the blue bus. I gave all my stuff away. All my property, I gave it away. I went and packed all my stuff in the crash. Oh, and he, he was talking about the crash shop. I built saddles and gun slings and purses and wallets and ID holders. I was a leather crafter for 20 years. Yeah. Right? I was in there when I wasn't supposed to be in there. They were trying to calm me down, give me something to do, and it worked. Right. But in, in any event, that part of the uh, deal was that, man, I'm going home. They all felt pity. They all felt pity. And, and then I come up for parole. They ran through the process. My mom called me. I called my mom, and she told me, listen, I called the parole board, and the first, it took three out of four votes to get me out, right? right. I had to have two out of three. Right. And I had had three straight no's for all the times except the year before in which one person voted for me, the other two voted against me. And the third vote had told the victim's family that I'd never get out under his watch. Right. Okay. And rightly so, I interviewed with him several times. And he told me, it's people like you make my job hard, Dane. What, I know you're rehabilitated. But I have to deal with the victim's family, and it's tough, man. I told him, listen, I know you got a tough job. And this is what I was going to tell you a while ago. The state of Texas has a terrible job, but their first job is to protect society. Yeah. If you're going to err on the side of caution, you err to keep people in prison. Sure. Prisoners don't like to hear that. Prisoners' families don't like to hear that. You're supposed to be able to put A, B, and C and dot the lines and, and work the program and be guaranteed to get out. Well, that's not what, what they do here. I'm not saying it's successful. I'm saying that you have to convince people that you're, that you're going to be not only just somebody that it's not a detriment to society, right. but you're, that, you're gonna, that you know how to be a, a contributor, right? Right. So why let you out otherwise? So that's why I'm telling you the importance of education. That's why I'm telling you that you need to get out and be proactive in growth. You need to do it before you get out or they'll never let you out unless you can do your sentence, and then you'll just go back because you haven't gathered the tools that you need. But once you've gathered the tools you need, I am proof that the parole board will let you work the program to the fullest extent, and if you do, they will reward you with release. Now, if you, if you, if the, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing and expecting right. a different result? Right. If you continue to do the same thing and think that just because you've got a, a substance abuse class, you got your GED, and, and, and now you're just marking your days till you get out, if you think that's showing the parole board that you have initiative to better yourself and to better those around you, then you're wrong. And you're probably going to be set off until you do your whole time. Or at least until you can fake it enough to where you convince them to give you a chance. And if you have a nonviolent crime, they're willing to give you that chance most of the time. But if you're, if you, man, you big timers out there with, with hurtful crimes, man, you need to prove to yourself first that you're not the person that committed the crime. First, it has to come from an inward momentum an impetus from inside that drives you to a successful change for the better, man. If you don't want that, you're not going to get better. Mm. Better situations, better circumstances, better health, better thinking, better anything. You're not going to get better if you don't have that, man. And the tools are there for you, man.
and education and books that your people can send you so you need to work it so when i got out yeah. right because i did yeah uh it shocked everybody i told them i made parole because my mom called yeah. well when she first called she said the first first vote was a no right and it was the parole board member not the guy that said he had never vote for me yeah he's voting third right right this one voted for me last time in the middle, Pamela Freeman, right? Okay. So, so the first vote was no. That means I got to get the next two, and one of them's aligned against me. But he's interviewed me three times. Yeah. He knows that I'm rehabilitated. Right. He didn't vote. Now, whether that was a, a thing that happened because it was on his vacation time or they removed him because he had always voted against me, the man set me off a whole bunch of times. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, and then, whatever the reason, I know it was God. They brought in a person from the district that, Pam, that Pamela Freeman was from, the Southern District, to vote. Mm -hmm. And he broke the tie with me making parole. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I've been out ever since. Now, the start of that conversation was, man, I know what it's going to feel like when I get out. Right, right. So, they, I know I'm going home. So they send me this paper acknowledging that I've made parole, the FI-1, which is the best parole you can get. Mm -hmm. No stipulations other than I had to wear a monitor uh, for a year, right? Okay. Or however long they decided to make me wear it. Right. I only wore it for a year. But okay. in any event, uh, an FI-1, no counseling, no substance abuse, no uh, any kind of management, no get ready programs, nothing, right? Right. Uh, no uh, uh, changes, which is an acronym for making it in the world for job interviews and how to prepare yourself like that. Yeah. So none of that, FI1. So I told them that my mother told me I'd made parole. My lawyer that I had hired didn't even know. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, then, and then so I told everybody else, well, my mother had been calling those same parole secretaries for years and years, and them telling them, oh, man, I'm sorry, Patsy. He yeah. didn't make it. Right? Right, right. Well, they were excited to tell them I made it. Yeah. And, and so I did, and, and, then, and I told everybody I made parole. Did you get your notice yet from them saying you had made parole? I said, no, nah, my mom called. Well, wait till you get your notice because, uh, man, just wait till you know. Right. I told him I've been knowing, man. I'll wave at you when I get on the bluebird. Yeah. Well, then the paper came. And once the paper came, they were like, well, you know, they can take it from you until you get out. They can just cancel it. And they do that. If they think that you can't handle negative stuff and they, they want to make sure you get violent if you can't, if you get disappointment makes you violent, yeah. they'll do that. They'll put you on the bus like you're going home, give you an FI, take you over there, and then someone will protest and they'll take it from you. Mm. Right? Because just to see how They're you act. challenging you. Yeah. If you come back to the unit and you just take up where you left off and you don't go off and start getting into trouble because now you're pissed off because you didn't get what you wanted, then chances are they bring you back up for special review and let you go or they let you go the next time. Right. Right? They play games like that to check your mentality, but it's incumbent on them to do it. How are you going to let a guy out that has violence when he's disappointed by not proving that he can handle disappointment yeah. without violence now? No, I mean, it makes sense. It, it does. Just, it just seems so a little So it may seem like I'm pro-system, but I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I'm not pro-system. I'm, I'm not pro putting a man in a cage. But let's face it, man. Some people need to be in a cage. Some of you guys out there have family that you know the best thing in the world for them is to be in prison. They're either going to kill themselves doing something stupid or kill somebody else. So it's a, it's a place where if you ask anybody, how many of these people would you go home with? Right, right. That's the environment. I guess so once I, once I made parole, uh, then they brought the bus and told me I was on the chain. Now, I knew they were coming, yep. right? 
at some point. They woke me up, they wake you up at two in the morning, you know, you go down there and eat chow, and then you go in this little room, and you stay in this room for hours and hours until the chain bus arrives. For mm -hmm. me, it was from like three o'clock in the morning till 10 in the morning. Oh, wow. And there was 60 of us in there. Yeah, yeah. And only three of us were going to the walls to be released. The rest of them were being transferred to other units, right? Mm -hmm. And this guy asked me, man, because they called my number. My, my TDC number started with a 2-9. It only has six numbers right so does that does that does that show like how how long you've been yeah there? yeah okay gotcha. yeah it yeah. means i went in in 1979 yeah. <laughs> and i was getting out in 2014 yeah so when the chain bus lady checks you in right, right. The, the guard that holds you in the room for the chain bus when they put you in this room it's it's a room that's locked and caged and they put you in there they check you out what's your what's your uh tdc number and you cite your tdc number right well, these guys had numbers in the million. Right. Mine was in the 200,000. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's six digits. So. That's how many people had come in <laughs> right. since I did. Right. And so they knew, right? Right. And so, and so it got their attention. Uh, how many times have you been out? They asked you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, none. None. This is my one time. Man, how did you do it? And so I started... There it is. Doing what I do. Glad you asked. You pulled out. That's it. I had that in my pocket. I had nothing else because I'd already sent it all home. Yeah. Before they told me I made parole. Right. Right. So so I had that, and 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 so I started counseling in there. And this guy was going back to his unit. And he had psych meds, and he was working out all the time. And he said, "Man, I can't stand it. I can't stand it." So I talked to him about peace and showed him scriptures. And then another guy came up that was a kid that had life without parole. Mm for drive-by shootings, right? Right. And, uh, and so I was talking to him. He was 17 with life without parole. You, you talked to him at 17 when he was he 17? He was 17 in that room oh, going wow. to Ferguson unit. Okay. So the Walls unit's here, the Ferguson unit's over here. And they took us and put us on that bus together with me and him in the back unhandcuffed mm -hmm. to each other. We had mm -hmm. our own handcuffs mm -hmm. in the back. And they drove, instead of going to Ferguson, which is what they should have done first, to come back around. Right. They drove all the way around and delivered him last and took me back to the walls and let me go. So I was able to talk to this yep, young man yep, yep. about the hope of that. getting out, right? right, and right. The, the positive, keep moving, education, boom. So God, all of it. So, But I'm in this group. So I did that. And the next thing I knew, they were here telling me, uh, Dangwood, what's your TDC number? Come on. Yeah. They put the handcuffs on me, take me to the walls. When I got out of the walls, they put you in a cage, and you go from a cage to a cage to a cage to a cell, right? Right. And so when they let you out, they come get you out of your cell when you're being released, and they take you to these cages, and they classify you with people that have your kind of thing. You're getting a monitor. You're not getting a monitor. You're being mandatory discharge. You're being released on parole. Right. So you go in there, and the last thing you do is get your clothes. They issue you these... <laughs> clown clothes to walk out with right and so they're civilian clothes though right it's not street, yeah they're it's not street they're pants and shirts prison whites but they not, may be yeah. pea green and bright yellow oh, and orange just, yeah, uh, yeah 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 clown made clothes. out of poplar you know clown clothes yeah <laughs> for real for yeah for real so my people are on the other side waiting on me with blue jeans and a shirt and like that right. so we go get our clothes and now look i hadn't had time to really and I didn't really worry about it. I didn't think about the excitement of getting out because I've been knowing for months yeah. I'm going. You couldn't tell me any different, man. Right. You know, right. I knew. Right. And so, and so I, when I got out, uh, before we went out, 
we got our clothes, everybody got their papers signed, and then they, they grouped us up. There was 88 of us, and we were paired in twos, and we were going out. And, uh, but before that happened, three guys come over there and said, hey, man, listen, man, pastor, will you pray for us? Right. I was like, yeah, That's I will. Right. So they all circled up. Now, there was 20 or so that didn't, but everybody else circled up. And, 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 and I prayed, and they asked me before I started praying, listen, man, pray that I, I'm, you know, I can return to my family. Pray that I don't come back. Pray that I have God's favor. Pray this, pray that. And so I prayed over all of them. And the guards come and said, hey, y'all going to go back inside or you going to go out because it's time to go? Yeah. So we went over there and paired up, and I walked out. So I never had a moment from the time they woke me up and told me I was on the chain that I wasn't serving somebody. Mm -hmm. right I wasn't trying to help trying to encourage trying to give the word of God to trying to show them how to walk in the light as opposed to the darkness which by the way uh, if you don't believe in God doesn't have to mean God sure you know how to be in the positive light of mentality how to walk in the good instead of the bad how to avoid the bad how to get out of the bad how to avoid uh, stuff that's not uh, you don't have it coming right uh, how to avoid stuff that you got coming, how to survive it all. I mean, just it's all in there. And so I was doing that for the whole time so that when I stepped out, when I stepped out, they rolled the door. And I stepped out behind right. us. Right. It was just walk down the sidewalk, look both ways to cross the street, have it. Sure. A habit that's still there. Yeah. Look both ways to cross the street. I ain't crossed the street in 36, three and a half decades. Right. Look both ways, cross the street, step across the street, walk up there, and your people's running to you. Hug you, make a little video, and I have it. It's on my website, thegnz.org. Um, I did commit a website because there's a whole thing that goes with that God telling me I'm going to get out, yeah. telling me what I need to do out here as far as bringing was... education into the inner cities. Yes. Uh, all that's in there. That's GNZ? Uh, yeah. It, it was originally Gangs Neutral Zone. I formed a nonprofit. Okay. It's mine. Uh, it's It was... The, T-H-E, G-N-Z, it was originally gangs, and I changed it to gods. Got it. Uh, because gangs has an inherent, leaves an inherently bad taste in investors' minds. Sure, sure, sure. Right? So I changed it to God. Good change, good change. Yeah, and so uh, God mandated me to do that. And, and uh, uh, I'm still in the process of trying to do it, and it may be coming to fruition. Uh, I've got some people willing to donate a large sum from the church and they're waiting to see about the sale of the church and stuff to make it happen sure but uh uh that's for the inner cities first houston then chicago then detroit right? okay okay and so this is the place where you can invest because people tear it up but what god wanted me to do was go in there build vocational centers educational ged centers and vocational centers put rec areas on one block take a block that's nobody wants yep. that's devalued that they can't sell Get that block and build, right? A recreational vocational centers, educational department, and then, and then implement uh, a deal that says leave your hate and your weapons at the door, right? And then talk to all the task force gang police and detectives. Talk to the leaders of the gangs and tell them, listen, so you're after each other and you're running. They're going to kill you. If you get to this spot over here, the neutral zone, uh, that's the name of it. Like you're safe. Gangs neutral zone. You get there, your hands off. Get everybody to agree to that, right? And then you put people together in sports. I was going to have NFL people come in 
and show them positive teamwork and how you can work uh, with people that you don't necessarily like because nobody likes everybody on the team, right? Right. And, and to have major influence on that. And I feel like they would, right? So I, I, I wrote, I, I did 1,200 1, packets. And that, it's on the website. I did uh, sites of it. We stacked up all these packets in manila envelopes, and I sent them out to every uh, federal and state, Texas, but every federal uh, senator and state representative, the president, all the cabinet members, everybody, everybody, I sent it to them about God's neutral zone. The response was, and this was during the time when uh, Trump gave Ben Carson HUD, mm-hmm the opportunity zones right. to go into the inner cities and bed vocational centers. After they read my stuff, they did that. And I'm pretty sure they didn't, they didn't put my face on it because I have a very violent crime. Sure. Right. So, but, but I don't know that that's connected. I'm not saying it is connected. Just I'm saying strength. I mailed out all that of that. Yeah. And months later, uh, they came out with this Ben Carson's opportunity zone. Right. It's a brilliant idea that this has just died mm. and it needs to be done. And I thought when they announced the Opportunity Zone that that was my part God wanted me to do, just get it done. I don't have to have credit for it. Yeah, sure. But it didn't get done. So I'm still in the mode to get that done. Right. Uh, and I have the nonprofit for it. So and there's, I hadn't really updated it because I hadn't had any kind of uh, interaction from it. But uh, it still talks about Trump and the athletes taking a knee for the national anthem. Trump on one side, the athletes on the other. And why can't we all just come together? Uh, it's a very interesting website. If you just go there and read it, I wrote it. Uh, I got an Associates of Applied Science degree in web development and computer support specialist while I was in prison. Yeah. I was, a, I was a teacher's aide in the business computer information systems because it's just more education, right? Of course. I was clerks and everything else in the latter years. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, but that's the mandate for me to do out here, and I still have it to do, and I want to do it, and, uh, and I will do it if I get the opportunity. I know that, uh, 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 what, what's the guy's name that was here? Kesey? No. Dittman? The professor. Yeah. Dittman. Yeah. Uh, I know that he's involved with the criminal justice system. Right. Uh, and and I'm, I'm proof of the fruit that rehabilitation bears when it's voluntarily done, right? Right. And, and, and the, the windfall of blessings that come from positive momentum and moving forward, growing, right? right? So, and I understand. I understand the wardens. I understand the classification system. I understand the parole board. Their first priority is to protect people, uh, the society, from people like I used to be. Right. So if that's their mandate, what do you have to do to get out is show them that you're not the person that you were because of the training that they've instilled in you. They want to feel good, man. They want you to be a success. I heard all the stories. When you get out, the parole board's going to send you back. They're going to look to send you back. Man, I counsel my parole officers. Right. Right. You know what I do right now? I call in. She calls me yeah. every three months. You all right? Yeah, that's it. Yep. And I'll call you if we need to do a UA. I've done so many UAs in the last eight years. I don't, I don't worry about it. I don't do drugs. I don't, I don't want anything to affect the way my mind works because right. if it affects my ability to think, bad things happen. Yeah. I don't want a beer. 
I don't drink a beer. I'm not saying that you can't or oh, I sure, think it's bad. Right. I'm just saying I don't want wine. Yeah. I don't want anything that affects my mind because one misthought can make you spend your life in hell. Mm. One. When you talk about the change you went through, it's clear to see that scared, raging 18-year-old kid that you were yeah. versus you were in your 50s, 55? 54. 54? The 54-year-old on the way out of prison <laughs> was not that same nah. violent, raging 18-year-old kid that went nah, in the prison. Man. You know, you're testifying, you're preaching to the, uh, the word of Lord to everybody Concerned. on your way out. And trying to help and build everybody up. Concern for others. Yeah. That is what makes society successful is concern for others. When you get your mind off your own problems, if you're allowed. I mean, look, man, when you're in prison, you know, uh, I think Gizzi said distractions, right? Uh, it's not so much distractions. They're there like mm -hmm. they are out here. Right. Right? They're here. Sure. I mean, what is it? You know, drinking, clubbing, uh, what? I mean, anything, really. Well, yeah. Your phone, people, people say your phones can be a distraction, what a huge it, well, distraction. Yeah, well, it is. Addiction to social if it, media. If it and keeps you from else. doing what you need to be doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, out there, in there, uh, it's not so much that it's a distraction, it's that you're not focusing your mind, right? Right. Uh, you're, not, you're not doing the things that need to be done to grow your mentality, your intellect, your emotional stability, your, your sanctification. And I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about your personal sanctification of I feel good about me. Right. Right? So if you're sanctified within yourself, you know who you are. Right? And to know who you are, you have to. Have to have something to judge that by. Right. And if all you've had to judge that by is that you're worthless, that you ain't going to make it, that you're not going to be a success, and you're not putting positive things in your mind through reading or through hanging around people that do positive things, listening to people that have got out of that quagmire that you're in, then you're stagnant, man. Yeah. And stagnant things stay the same until they die. That is what prison's about. You're either going to get in there and stay the same until you die. You're going to get in there and become worse. Now, there's true evil in there. There's people that are truly evil in the penitentiary. <laughs> there are, right? Mm -hmm. So they're not just misguided. They're not just emotionally disturbed. They're not just, oh, he didn't have a dad or he didn't have. There are people that are just evil because it's what they love. They're there. And they're more than you think, right? But they can touch good. Light dispels darkness. Darkness cannot smother light. If there's a light there, it can't close it. Right. It's a light. That's why they used to build fires on mountains miles away to call for help. So, be a light, man. And in order to be a light, you have to gather the fuel, the information, to make your mind function at a high rate, and I don't mean an intelligent rate, I got a, a 100 IQ. I'm average straight across the board. But I'm wise, man, because I've made the mistakes that made me learn that really, my life ain't about me. It's not. Your life is not about you. You got kids? Oh, yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, your life ain't about you, is it? No, no, not right now. Okay. So when <laughs> to you, some extent, but yeah. When yeah. you didn't have kids. Right. 
right? When you didn't have, even now, I mean, even if you don't have your kids, even if you're divorced, and even if they're somewhere else, even if they hate your guts, your life is for someone else. Mm. Whether you turn that into a positive thing in the lives of others, or you let it fester and soar and become stagnant and nasty and festering and gangrenous, mm. makes no difference. You are who you are. And if you accept who you are, then don't cry. Don't whine about it. If you don't want to accept who you are, do something about it. Right. And all you got to do to do something about it is read. Read everything you can get your hands on. Right? In prison where you have time to read, read, man. Read everything. And if you don't know the word, have a dictionary right there and look it up. Maybe it sucks. It disrupts the flow of the story. Sure. And you don't know what you're doing. You get tired of looking it up. Look it up. Because... You look it up one or two times, and then you understand it in the context of the sentence. And words are powerful. If you know the words, words are powerful. But beyond this, words are powerful. Beyond that, a book that teaches you, a book that counsels you, a book that gives you inspirational, a book that teaches you to encourage instead of destroy, uh, a book that teaches you to be... Uh, 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 not negative, but positive, and to have that effect and impact on people, those things are what you need because those things are what you don't have is why you go to prison. Mm -hmm. And when you're in prison, whether you're innocent or not, you don't have it in there either. It's festering. I'm not guilty. I'm not guilty. And they're doing me like this. All the time. Somebody. You ain't nothing. You ain't never going to be nothing. Hey, the book is an escape, man. This book is the escape. All books are an escape. Mm -hmm. And you can get into them books and you will escape, man. You'll get away from the things that have you where you're at, man. If I could tell you one thing, just read whatever you can get your hands on. Fiction, nonfiction, makes no difference. Law books, anything. Read it. Because you are what you think. And if you don't know how to think, you're lost, man. And books will teach you how to think. I mean, if I had one thing... That would be it. Yeah. But actually, me, this is my one thing. I mean, I don't know much else. Uh, I can talk about the prison system and all the stuff. I can talk about rolling up newspaper and feeding it under the guy next door to me and burning him alive. I can talk about that. Uh, I can talk about hitting people in the head with a garden. They call them Aggies in the penitentiary. It's a garden hoe a heavy-duty garden hoe. I can talk about all the fights, and I can talk about the rumbles, and I can talk about sending a quarter pound of weed in. I can talk about muling bosses to bring matchboxes, uh, to bring weed in that I could sell for matchbox, put in matchbox and sell. Uh, I can talk about all those different things. I can talk about uh, being moved to the deaf and the blind wing to stop people from taking advantage of those. They had uh, a bunch of people over there, the chief of classification. By then, I was an officer barber. Oh, yeah, I was a barber. I was a baker. <laughs> Anything you can do in the penitentiary other than work outside the gate, I did. So, you know, uh, I can talk about the chief of classification telling me, hey, man, I'm going to move you and, and your celly over to this E-wing, which is the, uh, the, where we have the deaf people and the blind people and how I've got lawsuits and the feds on me because they're being extorted over there because we don't have enough beds 
to put just blind and deaf people over mm -hmm. there, handicapped people. We have to put regular inmates over there, and once they get over there, the, the handicapped get government checks, and they have commissary. So these people who move over there, they take their stuff. Oh, yeah, they're going to take advantage of that. And then they're raping them, and so I want you to stop it. Now, back in the day, that would have been a building tender move, right? Right. And that would have been a, a rat move. But I cut this guy's hair. I was an officer barber. Yep. And so I told him, well, all right, man, but look. And back then, I wasn't doing right either. I said, back then, I want to know when I'm going to get a UA because uh, yeah. I smoke weed, man. I want yeah. a heads up. Right, right, right. And so I did that. And I went over there and just told the six guys and the ringleader that was doing it, here's you a knife and here's me one. I'm yep. willing to die for this. Are yeah. you? Yep, yep. So leave these people alone. So what I can do for you is anywhere you want to move on the cell, I can put you in there. You want a homosexual in your cell? I can put that homosexual in there with you. Chief of classification makes the moves, right? Right, right. So uh, just where you want to go, you know? And they, they, they ended up going, and, and uh, it was another adventure because deaf people are real loud, and they, when, they, when they're upset. Right. Because they're used to having grown up doing that, and they give them, get what they want just to shut them up because they're out in public, right? Right. Just stop screaming. I give you what you want. So mm -hmm. they, they, they do that. And so I had to get a translator and tell him, listen, I'm going to leave. I got rid of the bad guys. Yeah. And then I told him, if you don't learn not to scream, I'm going to leave. And then they're just going to come right back. And they're going to be back. <laughs> and so they quieted down. Well, the bosses liked that, too. The officers, the guards, they call guards bosses. Yeah. Uh, they liked it, too, because they were hollering at them, too. And then when they were hollering on the wing, they'd be hollering at the bosses in the picket and doing count time. Well, I stopped all that. So it was a plus-plus all the way around. And it's not a move that somebody that's a rat or a snitch that tells on people to get out of trouble or to get special favors would do other than i did get notices whenever i was going to have a ua right but uh, and that was self-serving in that regard but i don't like people that pick on people and i never have no I and a that. lot of my trouble was uh slapping people that slapped other people uh before i really learned that if you you can't, and oh and that's another thing i'd say to you guys in prison man if you're fighting for people that won't fight for themselves you're never going home. I mean, if they won't fight for themselves, you just got to let them be what they want, man. You know, don't fight for them. Hmm. So you said you could talk about all that stuff. All that stuff was very self-serving. Sounds like what you really want to focus on is what you're doing now, which oh, is yeah. service to others. Yeah. You know? that's and what which I, obviously you had that in you. I you didn't like seeing the bullies. You like to, you like to help out the helpless. I was unwise. So you already had that with you. But I didn't know how to do it. But now you, I guess with, right? with, the, with the word of the Bible and Well, and, and the education, direction. all the words, all yeah. the words, yeah. not just the Bible, yeah. not just the Bible. Right. Before the Bible was the education. Education, yeah. I couldn't understand the Bible without it. And yeah. there's stuff in there I don't understand now. I take on faith, right? Right. But, but words, you got to get them in you, right? If you don't know how to read, learn. There's people on the wing that will help you, yep. teach you. I taught Bible studies. I taught everything, man. I help people with reading. I did a lot of stuff for a long time, years. Uh, and, and, and I just kept doing it, just kept doing it. Was I getting anything out of it other than, hey, man, I'm helping people. I feel good. I'm at peace. I love myself. You, 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 I don't know that, that, and I don't mean that in a narcissistic kind of way. I don't mean that like, like, I love myself, man. Look at me. No, I know what you mean. I don't mean that. I mean, I genuinely like who I am right. as opposed to who I used to be. Sure. And I like the person that I, that, that 
I know is coming. Right. Right? Because I've learned to use all the tools at my disposal. And if I can get this uh, inner city thing going, if I can do that, that's God's will for me. But look at all the people it's going to help. It would help the single mothers out there uh, that have prayed and prayed. The grandmothers that have prayed and prayed for their children. The, the teenagers and the young adults that don't have any other way. Right. It's what it is. I get in the gang. I do this. I do that. Uh, I, I don't have any, There's no way out. Nobody's willing to help. When they come in here with any kind of development, it's for to make money off of us. Uh, government funding agencies, all these political people. And they do nothing but use us. And, uh, uh, well... What if there's one that won't use right, you? Right. What if there's one that generally cares, that goes in there and, and, and builds educational, recreational, and safe havens and will, and will tell you, hey, man, look, you're good. You're a good person. You're worth doing something for. Not you ain't getting out and you ain't never going to change. That boy ain't never going to change. That boy ain't never going to change. Ain't never gonna... I'm going to tell you that you can change, but it starts with changing the way you think. Yeah. It's got to be with the person, for sure. Yeah, it's got to be inward impetus, yeah. or, or it doesn't happen, man. I had heard uh, somewhere, uh, I forget where I heard it from. Uh, it doesn't matter. The point was, uh, people talk about, well, you know, uh, I'm bored. I'm bored. I don't know what to do with myself. I'm bored. Uh, you know, what, or, I'm, or I'm directionless, or directionlessness, whatever it is. I don't know what to do, right? And this person was like, if you can focus on, on something called your life force, and he was says anything positive that would influence your body, your mind, and your spirit, you know, do something like that. And How that, do you do that? Well, that's what I'm saying. What I heard from, from, from hearing from you, aside from just the physical part, like, you know, which would be obviously like working out, exercising, diet, yeah. exercising. But the mind was reading or yeah. get that education. And then the spiritualness, whether, yeah. it, whether it's a Christian text or it's a Muslim text or it's the Buddhist text or any of that. And ultimately, you know, you know right and wrong. It, right. That's the cool thing about those religions. They all have a very fundamental moral. They they all share a very same moral. Well, even without religion. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know right from wrong. You know right from yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So just a feeling. Even, yeah, it's a feeling just in your bones. You know, if, if you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's based on experience. But but when when you've been. Uh, when you've experienced bad things, I don't care what it is. If mm. you touch a stove and it's hot, that's one. Right? Sure, sure. Uh, or if you've been emotionally devastated and you cried your eyes out, or just. It's all good. Yeah. So, uh, if 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 you've lost a limb, mm -hmm. if you've been diagnosed with cancer. Um, Whatever the badness is that has infiltrated your peace, your strength, and your security, right? If what you have does not equip you to, to ward that off or to withstand that or to endure or to persevere, if what you're equipped with does not allow that, where are you going to get it? Right. Words. Yeah. Words are where you're going to get it. Yeah. Read. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you can't believe everything you see on the internet. No, uh, but of you can not. Google. You can Google anything you want, and 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 uh, I would say to you that, and they say the scriptures are living and sharper than any two-edged sword, and that the scripture today can mean one thing to get you through your situation, and you'll be in another situation ten years later, and it means something else. But it is truth. The thing is the same thing with reading, right? So 
if my dilemma is I've lost a limb, then read experiences of people who have overcome losing the same limb. Right. Right? Right. The same limb. So how did they deal with it? Read the experiences of the people that didn't overcome it and why. And read it with an objective mind where you can go, wow, I see why he failed. This one says if I just do this, and God, it's hard. It's, it's tough to do that. I don't know how that person did it. I don't think I can do it. But read it. And in that text, I promise you. The answer is there. They're going to say you can do it, man. Yeah, yeah, there's the answer. You know why in every text there's a you can do it? You know why that in every upliving and uplifting and motivational thing in the world, the bottom line and somewhere inside it, it states literally you can do it. You know why? Because you can do it. You can do it. I did it. Man, look here. If I can do it. Anyone can do it, right? Anyone. <laughs> you can you know? do it. I can, you can do it. <laughs> yeah, whatever that may be. And it's only going to be done to the success that you apply yourself. Yeah. You want rehabilitation? You want to change the way that you're treating your family? You want to change the way your family's looking at you? You want to change how society's looking at you? You want to change how you look at society? You want to change how you look at people? You want to change your negative thoughts into positive thoughts? You can do it. But it takes words. And you have to learn it. Now, if you don't know how to read, you can do it. Learn, right? Get somebody to read to you and follow along with your finger. When, uh, let them do it with their finger and do it slow. Ask questions and you can learn to read. I don't care how old you are. You're never too old to load. The, the, never too old to learn. The moment that you think you can learn no more, you're in a cesspool of negativity and defeat. Don't ever accept that, man. Ever. If you don't, you'll be all right. Because why? You can do it. You can do it. I can get behind that, man. So uh, I guess if there's any more information, uh, well, hang on. So we have the book from from you. Is this available like on Amazon? Yeah, it's on Amazon. Just okay, so Amazon, John Dane would just go. John Dane would suicide passport to heaven or hellfire condemnation. Now that's a biblical look. Right. All right. Okay. So what it is is giving you hope where you have none. Because if you use what you've been through. Uh, what you did wrong, right? right? If you use that as a powerful tool and testimony and witness to others about how they can overcome similar or, or equal or even worse negative circumstances in their own life, yes, sir. then what you went through has meaning, right? Right, right. It is good that you went through yeah, it because yeah. it's having positive impact on people Somebody else. Right. that yep. is going to have positive impact on others, right? Right, right. And so... The very things that you beating yourself up for about being in prison for, whatever, the, whatever it is that you did, uh, or all the things together combined that you did, only have intrinsic good value if you learn from them, gather the information you need to persevere and continue, and then share that information with someone else to help them out of their own particular circumstances. And for everything that you've done, there's millions of people that did it too. Yeah. that are trapped by the same circumstances you're trapped for. You and your bad experiences are the key to their escape. It sounds like if you let yourself get defeated by it, whether it be suicide or whether you choose not to overcome or persevere through it, then you can't be that. You can't be that no, you won't. example. You can't be that, you won't. Right. that you testament have. for other people. That's right. And if you don't care, and there are people that don't care, if you don't care about the state of your life, you certainly don't care about the state of others. Right. 
right? So it's an inward, it, it, it's, it's a, an impetus that has to come from within. You have to get tired of your station in life and you have to want to do something about it. But all you got to do to do something about it is learn how to do something about it. And the only way you learn how to do something about it is just read. Read. Read and absorb and take in everything. Even the stuff that's bad, know that it's bad. And know that, well, I can avoid that. I see how that person got into that. I see how this happened. Oh, man, I ain't getting in that situation. And you now have information to avoid a circumstance that if it happened immediately and burst upon you from nowhere, you had no preparation, you failed. There's no such thing, none, as too much information. None. Just get it in you, man. It, sounds, From, it also sounds like another place to get in, this information, too, for what you were saying, with what you are doing specifically. Like, I just, I just had this thought in my head. You have the website, thegnz.org. Or not right? com, yeah. Right? So thegnz.org, which you say you've curated yourself and you have some good information on there that I think needs to reach these, the people that you're trying to reach, the inner city youth or people without, you know, people who have just come from the prison system right. and probably need yeah, you know, some I, guidance or, or whatever, or just yeah. the help they need. That's, I, I don't know what, what, what other information you've put on there. I mean, you've put your, your, your writings. Just, or just put different your, things. My, my plans for the inner cities, all of that's on there. There's, right. there's an opening video in there. There's some other things. I developed the website. Right. I'm sure there's uh, contact information. There's educational information. things. Right. Yeah, there's contact information on there. It's all donation things if you want to donate. Uh, but uh, uh, the, the, the main thing that I need is investors willing to fund it right right and i may be able to do that here pretty shortly i, I may not but it looks like god's opening the door to uh give me a sizable chunk of change that will get the attention of people that have the money that they can avoid a whole bunch of tax fees mm -hmm. by investing in my nonprofit. right of course and and once that happens it's just a matter of getting it done and as far as commanding the respect of 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 having come from the penitentiary, having been a murderer, having having lived the stigmatism of convict, having done that ex-con, having found and mapped a way out when there was none by the state of Texas, right? Uh, having done all those things, and having empathy for the plight that people are in, and the answer how to get out of it. It's education <laughs> yeah. yeah right and so but they're not a they're not they're not afforded uh in the inner cities a quality education it's like that first class i went into where they were shooting spit wads and the teacher had his head down i walked right. in there and told him hey man y'all gonna let me learn and if you just learn beat the system do what you got to do but you're gonna let me learn uh, that turned into the best class the man had ever taught. He'd been a teacher for 36 years in the public and in prison. Now, you uh, told me the story, but can you share the story about how you, you kind of forced your way into learning or making them teach you? Well, this was at a time when violence was my tool, right? And, uh, and I looked to exercise it uh, in order to be... The one thing I wanted was to be left alone, right? And, and, and they won't leave you alone if they don't fear you. Uh, like I say, fear is equated with respect. If they don't respect you, they run over you, and they don't respect you if they don't fear you. Fear and respect are hand-in-hand -in, -hand in prison, 
not so much out here. Mm-hmm. Although it's kind of, you don't respect the law, right? <laughs> if you ain't afraid of the law if you're doing wrong, well, it's kind of the same thing, just on a way lesser scale. But uh, the contingencies available are not there in prison that you have here, right? So I just, I, I, I drove up on the unit and I told the lady, listen, I don't care. Now, I had already got my GED by right. this time. Okay. I drove up on the unit. I had been shipped to this unit, and they give you what they call an orientation. So they take you, a member of the education department, you talk to her, a member of uh, the chapel, you talk to them. Every department, you talk to people, right? Grievance department, they give you this new, you're new to the unit, this is how we run things, and here I am, this is where I'm at, and here's a handbook, mm-hmm. right? That kind of thing. So you, you, the education department is, well, I'm going to get you signed up for your GED, get you signed up for this, get you signed up for that. Well, now I've done so much, and I've got so long to do to come up for parole, I'm not eligible for anything. So I went in there and told this lady, I said, ma'am, listen. And she told me, there's nothing I can do for you. You've done everything you can do. Uh, you're not eligible for anything. And so I was like, is there a class here that nobody wants and you need to fill a seat? She said, no, nah, I don't have anything for you, uh, Mr. Dangwood. All I have for you, it's not even for you. We have a class of anger management, right? And I was like, yeah. And she said, it's, uh, the name of it's cognitive intervention. And it's a big name for anger management. And what they do is they put people on the unit that can't control themselves in these classes. Right. And we have one. And I said, well, put me in it. She said, no, you don't understand. That's a negative thing. If you're put in here, it proves you have an anger problem. I said, no, no. Look, just put me in it. Yeah. And she's like, let me get this straight. You're volunteering for a class that people have been made to take that don't want to be there. Right. And Mr. Masters was the teacher, right? And I was like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, put me in it. I just need to get, I know in my mind, I just need to get in the education department and continue my learning process, right? So, and there's no way for me to do it by policy. So I told her that, and she said, oh, well, I, I, okay, I'll put you in it. So when I walked up in the education department, it's glass, right, and the door that goes in, these guys were in there shooting uh, spitballs and uh, rapping on the tables, and uh, everybody's isolated by race, and uh, they're throwing paper wads, and, and Mr. Masters is Got yeah. his head down, right? Yeah. <laughs> Defeated. Yeah, so I walked in. By now, I'm confident, right? I've got an education. I'm in control of myself. I know what I'm doing. I have goals set, you know. I'm going to get educated. I ain't letting nothing get in the way of that, but I'm still on pretty much the violent mode, right? Right. So I went in, and, and I just told him, hey, man, uh, let me borrow your chalk. And this is what I wrote on the board, right? And told him, you're just a number, and I don't see black and white. And I picked, and there's always one out of the four or five that, and I told him, hey, man, you know, I'm going to learn. And you ain't going to stop. You're going to shut up, and I'm going to learn, or I'm going to kill you. <laughs> so we can go to rec after this class. They'll call 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, rec. We can go to rec, and we can do that. We can kill each other. But either I'm going to learn, and you're going to die. Are you going to kill me? And I don't need to learn no more. Right. And I just said it like that, right? I mean, just conversational, you know, it's what it is. Just a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I said, I'll be at rec when we leave here. 
And so I went and uh, I had a habit back then of keeping a knife stashed in every spot that I would be in, right, in right. somewhere. They'd find them every now and then, I'd replace them. Um, so I went and got two knives and I went out to wreck and I gave them one and I kept one. And I told them now, just to show you that I'm serious, here's you one and here's me one. Now, are you gonna let me learn? You know? Or are you gonna continue to disrupt the class and stuff? Oh, we're right? gonna kill, yeah, you know? yeah, I, yeah. I'm serious. Yeah. And uh, he was like, man, you're serious. And, and I can't remember verbatim, word for word, the conversation, but in the end, I told him, man, don't you tired of doing time? Don't you want to break the cycle? Don't you want to? And if you want to beat the system, this man's going to teach you everything you know to beat the system. I told him, man, you do, you, you, you do weights and measures already. You sold drugs in the world, right? I knew who he was, right? Right. And he's like, yeah. I told him, well, you know what an eighth is. You know what an eight ball is. You know what an ounce is. You know what a gram is, right? Right. He's like, yeah. I said, so you're good at math, right? No, I'm good at counting money. I told him, you're good at math. You can count math. money, right? So uh, this guy writes questions on the board all the time. This teacher, every morning, he writes one up there for, to, dis, to discuss. Of course, he never get to do it. And nobody participates. But I told him, those questions are teaching you how to think. And he's going to give you the system that you want to beat. Study your enemy, the art of war. Learn your enemy. Right? And if he's your enemy, learn from him everything you need to know to beat the system, and you'll have a better chance of staying out. But the system's rigged, brother. And the system will make you a wealthy man if you just use it, man. Yeah. Right? And so in any event, man, we all got back in there. And once these kids started, and they were all young, right? Once they started answering the questions, I was amazed at the insights these guys had that I would have never got that from that. But as soon as they said it, I saw it, right? And I was like, wow, man. And now I'm in a happy mode because I'm learning things about people. Yeah, you're learning. That I didn't know, right? Mm -hmm. And that helps me to react properly the best way in any situation because I know where this guy's coming from. Right, right. So I absorbed all this while they were, you know, putting it out. And once they saw, and the teacher was like amazed. And mm -hmm. he told me, look, look, Dane Wood, uh, You've turned the worst class I've ever taught into the best class I've ever taught. And you should do psychology. That's what you should do. I know you got to get a partner, whatever you got to do, but you should do that. And uh, this is amazing what you've done. And by the way, do you want to take a computer class? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it opened the door for other classes, yeah. which is what you were wanting to begin with. So Mr. Sherman was in this one down here. Mr. Masters yeah. recommended Mr. Sherman. Yeah. Right? So everywhere I went, and don't get me wrong, I, was, I had problems, you know, I had frustration problems where when I wasn't learning, I'd be all, and then I'd catch myself. Yeah. But the trick is catching yourself, and when you see that you're in a mode that you used to be in that wasn't productive, right. stopping it, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. take a breath, Snap do what you need, yeah. yeah. And, and, and do what? Get back to learning, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how do you think billionaires got where they're at? They learned as they went. Sure. They learned more and more and more and more, and their hunger for knowledge and application of what they've learned put them above everybody else. They're no better than you or me. Yeah, okay, so they get it faster. Doesn't mean if you read it three hours and get it, and I have to read it three weeks and get it, then to you it don't really mean much. I mean, you have the information and you can utilize it. It's not a milestone for you. Mm. It means everything to me. Because I got it after three weeks, and I worked hard for it. It's valuable to me, man. Mm -hmm. So if you got an average IQ like me, and you have to work at it, and by the way, my short-term memory is gone. Ask him. Right? 
I don't have a short-term memory because that's the one thing that was a lasting effect from that wreck. They told me I was going to be paralyzed on the right side. They told me I'd never wake up when I was on the operating table. They told me that they told my people that I would I would always be paralyzed. Told me I would always never get the full use of my body back. Told me this and that. I'd always have seizures. I'd have to take seizure medication. I'd have to do this. I'd have to do that. I'd have to do all this all the time. I'd have to accept this. The sooner you accept this, the, the, the more normal life you'll be able to lead. All those things. All those things. I have no problems except my short-term memory don't work. So I have to process everything to long-term memory. So that takes repetition. And so I miss stuff. You can't do it all, right? Right. And, and oddly enough, not having a short-term memory makes people that don't know you think you're stupid. And, yeah, I don't have a killer intellect, uh, very high IQ, but I have wisdom that goes beyond any number that you can put on intellect. And you do, too. You do, too. You just have to explore that. You just have to expand that. If you accept them telling you that you're mediocre or that you have mediocrity is all that you can expect or, or you, all you can do is this and you're never going to change. If you accept what they're telling you, Man, you're stuck. But all you got to do is shake loose for that and say, uh-uh, that ain't me. Okay, maybe it is me. All right, it is me, but what can I do about it? And then do it. Don't believe them, just do it. Read, learn, move forward, keep moving forward. And if you get on a wall and you can't go forward, you find yourself stuck, just keep your feet moving. And you're going to go over, around, or through whatever obstacle it is, and gather the information to know which way to lean to force the thing to move, right? That's all you got to do. You got a wall to get through, learn about the wall. What's your problem? Learn about that problem. Read what people have said to deal with it. Read what people have said that didn't deal with it. Read the people that, that overcame it. Read the people that it destroyed. Read all that stuff. And you'll see, man, a light will go on in your head, and you'll go, man, I can do that. And you know what? You can do it, man. Yeah. <laughs> you can do it. I can tell you definitely like to preach, man. And, and it's like, like being ordained fits you perfectly, man. Like honestly, you should almost do video segments of you preaching about a certain topic and put that on your website, the gnz.org. Uh, uh, I'm acute. Uh, I get the accusation of being too intense. No, 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 no. Well, hey, whatever. I'm I'm very passionate about the things I know to be yeah. true. Yeah, absolutely. It works, it works for you know big pastors like you know Joel Osteen or whatever. You know, oh, well, I'm just I'm just saying I like eccentric pastors. Sure, and preachers, sure. Know, no, no, no. I mean, I I, I I'm picking up what you're putting down, and I like the way you're delivering it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It sounds very familiar to me because I've I've listened to a lot of Southern preachers. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what that's the vibe I'm getting from you. What I'm saying though is in 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 what you're saying, there's a lot of good knowledge there. Sure. You know, if you if you could find the, the the I guess the opportunity, the capability of being able to record it, you know what I mean? Slap it on your website, you yeah. know, that's something that people could access. I actually this podcast, if there's a way I'm sure Cody could find a way to give you the file, you could post you know, link this to your website. You know? Yeah, I could yeah. do that. You know yeah. what I mean? I already I, I used to do a radio show called Less than the Least Ministries. Um and I used to do uh, a live broadcast every Sunday night uh, with Lonnie, provost. Uh, and it's a shout out to prisoners where families can call and tell them, hey, I sent the money or I did this, I did that. And I talked to the person you said talk to. I talked to the lawyer. 
on the radio. Wow. And we give spiritual-based uh, hope to families and prisoners, right? Yeah. I used yeah. to listen to it when I was in prison for years and years. Oh, yeah. Mm. I'd listen to it on my bunk, man. And uh, and I got out and became a part of it. I co-hosted it for about six months every That's Sunday night. That's pretty cool. How cool is that? From 10 in the, at night till midnight. Talking right? about full circle, kind of. You yeah. Know, from, from going to listening to it to actually being yeah, able to being participate. Yeah. And I would always think one day I'm going, because he would have uh, prisoners getting out on there, you know. Yeah. So I know he would be conducive to it. And I, yeah, yeah. I used to think, man, I'm going to do that one day. I'm going to do that when I when I get out. And I didn't say if I if get I out. If I get out, when I, I was get always out. saying when I get out, I'm going to do that. Right on. But now I would say, Lord, if, I mean, I did what I did. And if what I'm due is all my life in prison, as bad as I hate this cage, as bad as every second is for me, and you know how it is, if that's what you want me from me, then I'm going to do it the best way I know how, man, and I'm going to serve you. And uh, I'm going to serve others uh, for as long as you have me here. Uh, and I did, uh, and I was, until it started being where it was driving people away. Right, because they're saying, you're not getting out, so why should I? Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, you, and you know what yeah. the scriptures say about that? If you're a shepherd of a flock, right? Right. And you care for your flock, and you do right by your flock, he will increase your grasslands and your flock. Right? Right. My flock could not eat in the pastures that I was shepherd of Mm -hmm. while I was in prison, no longer. They couldn't, they wouldn't listen to me because God wasn't answering me. Right. And so what'd he do? You had to show him. He moved me to another pastor. Oh, okay. Right? to a church, to Nicaragua, to recovery centers. I've baptized 132 men since I've been out, right? So uh, it's been a, a, a very big transition. Now, I want you to know that I'm about religion. I mean, I'm about relationship, not religion, Okay. right? So I'm not going to beat you over the head with scriptures. And Jesus came not to condemn, but to save. So any condemnation comes from the negative side, it's dark, right? So I'm not that guy. But if you want to be encouraged, if you want to be built up, if you want to be enlivened, if you want to know that I'm just a regular dude in love with God, man, that's what I am, right? And, uh, and so I try to show that to people. I try to make it real uh, for them like it is for me, right? I can't make it real for me because it is real. But I can make you see that you can have it, right? Right. And, uh, and it's a beautiful thing, man. It, it's just a wonderful thing. Uh, man. That's, that's I mean, I w- kind but, of why but, I wanted to have you on, you know, because, I mean, I can see you're about it. You know what I mean? Like, like you're not a fake dude. You're not out there just, you know, not practicing what you're preaching. Yeah. You know, you, you, you live it. So I think, that's, I think that's cool. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge because you've got a lot of, lot of guys out there, men, women too, I suppose, people who... I, you know what you just said they're not about it yeah they, you they, know? they live a life uh, you know like on social media but that's totally not what it is you know like they, not even that man I mean maybe a life without any real substance maybe a life that with no direction and that's maybe the a, worst thing maybe a life yeah. that you know what I mean yeah maybe a life with no purpose you know uh, yeah. s- something can't derive any real meaning or get any real fulfillment you right. know and that's huge man and I think everyone goes through that to some point 
in time in their own lives. That's why men would have midlife crises and things of that nature. Yeah, and I think would. you and I are approaching that age, <laughs> right? I'm going to be 36 this what year. What are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ferrari. But, yeah, but check yeah. this out. Check this out. So, so uh, I know this all sounds like, hey, I'm on top of everything and I don't have bad days, right? That's not true. Yeah. Even the Bible says the days are filled with trouble, right? Right. So uh, if you don't have your own trouble, somebody else will give you theirs. I mean, this that's what it is, right? But here's the difference in being unprepared and being prepared, right? With me, it's the Word of God. But information, it's word, 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 the Word out here. Not doesn't necessarily have to be religion. But if you're prepared when bad things happen, you have a bad day or things don't go your way or, or whatever it is, or you find yourself... And I'm, I'm emotional, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm passionate about what I do. And I'm passionate about what I'm against. And I don't like things coming against me. And I'll call a, a, a you know, um, <laughs> I'll call a cesspool a turd pool. You know what I mean? Sure. So what it is, it is, right? And if you're treating me in a way that's unaccept unacceptable, and the only thing that I've asked you not to do that, I've, I've asked you not to do that, then I will go, hey, man, back up. What are you doing? Right. You can't do me like that. Don't do it no more. Right? right? Well, well, a Christian ain't supposed to act like that. What do you mean? God is full of emotion, man, full of spirit. He was angry. He was loving. He was happy. He was all the things that we go through. Right. And he knows what we're about, man. So, so... Oh, you can't be angry. He says, don't let the sun go down on your angry, sure. on your anger. Sure. Address it. But he doesn't tell you not to be angry. It ain't a sin to be angry. Uh, he was righteous, too, I believe. You yeah. know what I mean? If he was angry, he was, he was righteous in his anger. And it doesn't you know matter I mean? if you're wrong in your anger, right? Because if you're wrong in your anger and you're in the right place in your preparedness, mm. when that person says, well, you're wrong and here's why, you'll go, damn, you're right. Dang, man, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. You know, but you have to be in confident within yourself. You have to have the information to be able to process what he's saying in the midst of your emotion and recognize the truth. You know what I'm about? I'm about the truth. That's what I'm about. Nothing but the absolute truth. And you know what this is? It's the truth. And so that's what I'm about. But everything that you read in here, I promise you that every motivational book you can read, every how to get ahead book you can read, everything that you can do for positive growth and betterment is right here in this book. Everything they write is right here in this book. It's coming from this book or it's coming from the person who wrote this book or had it written, right? right. So good is good and that's all there is, right? So everything that's good, everything that's motivational, everything that's encouraging, everything that's uplifting is good, right? You can't change that. That's all right there. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that's been written that's not in here that's good. Now, there's a lot of stuff that ain't good that's been written, and it ain't in there. No, it's not in there. So, <laughs> so, so I mean, yeah, uh, it's a win-win proposition to follow the, 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 the dictates and mandate of, of God. Uh, it's, you're going to learn how to love. You're going to learn to surround yourself by people that love. You're going to have a good quality life, whether you have a lot of money or not. You're going to always have what you need. Right. People are going to see to it. Yeah. Right. That's the kind of folks you're going to be around. If you live by this word, you're going to have a good life. 
right? If you don't live by this word, you're not going to have a good life. Because all the books that teach you how to have a good life are built on the precepts and principles that come from biblical knowledge, right? Yeah. So, and if they didn't come from it, they're at least in line with it because they're good. And if God is all good, right? If he's everything good, the Bible says God is all good and every good thing comes from God above, right? Yes. So what is hell? Hell is the separation from God. And what is that? It's the separation from not good. And why is God evil? Why did God create evil? He did. It says that he created everything, visible and invisible, and everything was created by and for him. And it even says if it wasn't created by him, it is not. Hmm. Right? So if he created everything, visible and invisible, he had to create evil. You know why he created evil? He created evil because he loves you. That's, that's, that that's sounds hard, crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a hard look, process. Here's the reason. Because he doesn't want you to have to love him. He wants you to choose to love him. But if there's only one way, right? Right. If he's all good and everything about him is good and there's nothing else, you don't have a choice. Yeah, it's real, it's real easy to love him. <laughs> so he had to create not good in order to give you an option to be able to choose him. He don't want to force you. He's not going to force you. He don't want you to have to love him. He wants you to have a choice of him or not him. And not him is not good. Everything not good. Excessive noise, anxiety, depression. The scriptures say eternal destruction. And people read that to mean annihilism. Where, well, you're either going to go be with God for eternity if there is such a thing, or he's just going to smash you, then it's going to be over. That ain't what it is. Eternal destruction means dying, illness, sickness, noise, everything not good for all of eternity in a never-ending sequence. So when you breathe your last breath and you wake up and you go, oh, crap, I should have listened to him, right? It's too late, man. You don't go on a trip to New York. You don't go on a trip to Haiti without planning your route mm -hmm. to the best possible outcome. Why would you take the chance of entering eternity and not have a, a plan? That's a good point. Check this out. That's a good point. That's There's a good another point. one. Here's another one for you. Yeah. If God is all good and every good thing comes from him and the absence of God is not good, right. which <laughs> by definition it is, if everything has an equal, a yin and a yang, if you will, whatever, right? So for all the goodness that God is, all the badness where he's not is equal in degree. So it's going to be terrible. Right. And the Bible says there will be gnashing of teeth. Now check this out. So if you live by the precepts and the principles of the Bible, Correct? If you live by this, you're going to have a good life. You're going to know how to love. You're going to surround yourself with people that love. And you die, and you were wrong. And it's just energy that dissipates, and you don't know anything else. What did you get for your... You got a good life. You had a good life. Yeah. Okay, now, what if it's right? Yeah. And the only way to the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. Yeah. What if there are many roads to heaven? Right. The Bible says there's only one through Jesus Christ, and that's the truth. But what if there are many roads to heaven, and when you wake up after you breathe your last breath to the existence that you, that's always been you, that will always be you through eternity, and there are many roads to heaven, and you can get it by doing good. That'd be great. Hey, well, if you live by this, you're going to be automatically yeah. in. I was going to say, well, you see, you'll also see your Muslim brothers and sisters. That's and right. And brothers and sisters. That's right. People but who if believe you, in nature or, you know, whatever. But if you live by this, you're in. Yeah. If there's many roads. Right, right. If there's one, you're not. 
So if you had a gun right here and you had to put it to your head and pull the trigger and you knew that there was a gun here with one bullet and there was a gun here with six, which would you pick? You'd take the win-win situation, right? Yeah. And if there was uh, or, or the, the best chance, the one with the one bullet. And if there was a gun that was empty here and they told you the only thing that's sacrosanct, the only thing that's true is this gun is empty, that gun is full, and this gun has one bullet. You can check them. And you check them, and then, and then they tell you, now you have to pick up one and put it to your head and pull the trigger. Yeah, you're going to pick up the one with no bullets. Huh? I would think, right? Well, then why aren't people going <laughs> to hell? Because the word's right here. It's a win-win situation. Yeah. But they're picking a win-loss situation when the loss is as devastating as the good that's there right. on the off chance that there is no God, and when you die, you just dissipate back into the energy of the universe. Yeah. If that happens, you've had a good life. If it don't happen, you're either going to have a rude awakening or you're going to have a pleasant eternity where there is a land of no tears, no disease, cellular death and corruption is no longer viable, yeah. and you have a perfect body. And over here, you have constant cellular death, clanging noise, ranging penitentiaries. I was say, it sounds like, mm -hmm. yeah, sounds like you're describing prison. Yeah, it sounds like prison. As you've, as you've described <laughs> Prison it. is hell on earth. As you've yeah. described it. And you know what? You choose to go there. Right. Unless you're forced there. But you're that. not going to be forced there unless, if you believe in God, right. if you follow the precepts and principles, sure. he's going to welcome you with open arms because he's the father. So I, I don't, I didn't mean to get into the religious side of this, but well, I cool. see the parallels, you know, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the, the parallels are, are, are there. They're there for you to choose and yeah. God's going to honor your choice. And yeah. it's totally up to you. But the justice system is not God. It's not all forgiving. It's not benevolent. And no the justice system. Is and, definitely and, and you can't count fair. on, and you can't <laughs> count on what it is either. Right. Uh, it is fair in some regards, mm. the justice system. Yeah. People do get fairness out of it. I mean, I'm out here right now to the people that I've done wrong. It's unfair. Right. Right. They can't see past their own, uh, uninformed, ill-equipped, hurt and pain, right? All they know is they feel and it's raw and I'm the cause of it and I and, and hand to God, I know. Even that. after 35 years? I know that. Talk yeah. to them? No, I, I've tried every way that I knew how and the state of Texas has a law that prohibits that. Yeah. And I had a, I had a, 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 a father in archdiocese down there approach the people which was against the rules for him. Mm -hmm. He did it anyway because he knew the sincerity that I have for what I've done. And, and I wanted to offer an apology or let them scream at me, let them do whatever they wanted to do to help them. Uh, but they had none of it, didn't want any of it, and I respect that, right? Right. I used to plot how I was going to kill the people that snitched on me. That's how far gone I was. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and I had this thing where I was going to kill them slow, right? Uh, for all the pain and hurt that I felt in the prison and the things I was having to do and all the stuff that I thought was unfair and, right. and, 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 and all of the uninformed information that drove me beyond uh, processing anger to manipulating rage even beyond that. Now I want revenge, right? Before I got into this. And, and, and that negative energy had me plotting ways to do that, right? Now, this is back when I was really an idiot and I was having to do what I do to survive. I was an idiot for real, man. I mean, I'm just not, there's no sugarcoating that, right. right? But I am no longer that idiot. Then I was, and I used to plot how I'd get them. And then they told me I was gonna wear an ankle monitor for a year and my crime really doesn't uh, uh, 
call for that. At the time, that was a sex offender thing, right? Okay. Yeah. I killed a man in a robbery, but it was a sex offender thing, and it still is. You wear this ankle monitor, they monitor you. You can't go to this place, that place, whatever. So most of the people that they put that on that didn't have sex cases were so totally upset about having to wear this monitor that they couldn't get past it. Yeah. Well, the people protested me when I came up for parole. And I had a stipulation where I couldn't go to Jefferson County. If I was seen in Jefferson County, they would revoke my parole and send me mm. back to prison. You know what the ankle monitor did? What? It proved my exact location the three times that somebody from Beaumont told them they saw me down there. Hmm. Now, it may have been that they, they thought it was me. There's a lot of people that look like me, right? Yeah. I get it all the time. But, and it might have been an honest mistake, but it might have been just let's get him back in prison. Yeah. Because right, we hate right, him, right. right? So that kind of actually protected you. It did. Yeah. And yeah. so at the end of the year, my parole officer told me, John, listen, you can expect to keep that thing for at least two years because the lady that votes to take him off is not going to vote for you. Uh, that's a no. And then they, they'll go to Austin and then they'll make the decision, but they always side with her. Yeah. You got our vote at the parole office and the head of the parole office's vote, but you're going to, it's probably going to be, I said, hey, man, listen, listen. If God wants me to wear this thing for another year, I'm good with it. I'm smart enough to know that it's an ironclad alibi because I ain't going down there. If <laughs> yeah. I have to fly over that space, I'll fly to Oklahoma and fly to Louisiana. Well, I, or I'll go around it. <laughs> yeah. I'll pay for the flights. I'm not going yeah. over their airspace. I'm not going through there. There's nothing for me down there but heartache that I, for me and heartache that I cause others. So uh, they don't ever have to worry about me going there. I'll never go there right. or over it. But I told him, so if, it, it, if that's an ironclad alibi, if someone mistakenly thinks they see me or if they say I'm down there and I don't happen to be able to prove where I'm at, that does it. So you're good with it. Yeah. So I was like, I'm cool with it. And yeah. so, you know, he's talking about seven years ago. I mean, I've been on. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, so I told him, but if he, God wants it off of me, that lady will vote for me and you can't keep it on me. You can vote against me. They, they can't keep it on if he wants it off. Yeah, right. If I have it, I know it's for me because God is for me, hmm. and it's a good thing. And three times, they told me after they took it off, yeah, you were reported three times, and that monitor saved you. There you hmm. go. Right? There you go. And so, and so I'm, I'm, I'm like, listen, man, things happen for a reason. You don't have to believe in God to believe that. Yeah. There's a reason for things that happen. If you believe in God, then you know. You know where it came from. It's a good thing. Yeah. So, yeah, and uh, listen, I just, I want to do the neutral zone, man. If there's anybody out there with a bunch of money that can donate to the neutral zone and make me make this thing happen uh, and, and, you know, save money on taxes or whatever it is that you want to do if, from the goodness of your heart, then I would love to have it. Uh, and, and I'm going to do it. I just, I need the tools to do it with. That's I it. don't have the tools. I've done everything I can as far as implementing all these things and sending them to the uh, politicians of the world. Uh, but I haven't been able to do it yet, but uh, it is on my heart. It is a mandate, I believe, from God, and uh, I believe it's what I was sent out here to do, and I'm perfectly willing to do it. Uh, I need a lot of help because I don't know the ins and outs of all this stuff. It was hard enough for me to do this nonprofit, and I'm not even sure I did that right, so I need legal advice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I know I have one. I have an EIN number. I know all that, and, and, yeah. and but I need legal help. I need lawyers. I need... I need to make this happen. Don't, don't you believe that uh, you don't have to be in any position on the earth to know that the people of our inner cities need help? I mean, don't, don't you know that? Oh, yeah. It's, yeah it's Absolutely. Common, I mean, it should be common knowledge. I mean, isn't it? Isn't it you know what the problem is? Hmm. 
Everybody is throwing their hands up and said, what can we do? There's nothing we can do. And when you reach that statement in your personal development, oh yeah, it's over. Yeah, you're defeated. If you reach that statement in a, in a worldly manner. Same thing. It's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So truly, it's hopeless in the inner cities. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And part of it is they bring it on themselves. They destroy what people build. That's part of it. But nobody is speaking that truth to them because the truth is overlaid with a whole bunch of manipulation. I ain't trying to do that, man. I'm trying to bring you the tools you need for self-betterment, for your city, for your parents, for your, for your children, for your grandchildren. I'm trying to give you what you need, and I'm telling you all you need is education. And I wish you would help me convince the people that have the money that will invest in this and save money through not paying the taxes that you and I pay or whatever that you think. It don't matter where the money comes from if it's used for good. I ain't telling you to go out and rob something. I'm not, you know. <laughs> no. I mean, it does matter where the money comes yeah, from as no, far as that saying. goes. Yeah. But it doesn't, it doesn't matter, matter who, who it helps. Comes from. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't have to be a religious organization. Yeah, right. It doesn't have to be. Uh, it can be a guy that's evading taxes through a legal loophole sure. and yeah. investing. It's fine. I got 20 grand I need to hide away. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I'll donate to the GNC. Yeah, we'll just give it to John. <laughs> and John will give it to the people. There it is. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I'm working uh, long hours selling cars and i use it to help people that ask cody how i stay with deals that other people give up on just to help people and give and, and i don't make anything for it oh yeah i mean i'll spend five six hours to help somebody that's hopeless get a car and in the end sometimes i get it done and sometimes i can't but i will I, I, in every instance i'm able to say i did everything i could for this person everything and I went beyond what most salesmen do, and I do it again. And the next one that comes in, I do the same thing. Yep. Right Ask on. him. He'll tell you. It's hours. True. It's true. Hours and hours. When all the other salesmen will cut their losses and get on to the next guy, I'm still in there like a pit bull, biting and working. Mm -hmm. And I'll do the same thing in the neutral zone. I just haven't. Yep. It hasn't been God's timing or it would have happened. Right. Uh, but I'm, 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 I'm waiting, and uh, I love what God has done in my life. I love the things that that that. My mother made me pray for wisdom. She said, my mother's a godly woman, always has been. Uh, I asked her for some law books because I, I, it was hard to get to the law library and all that back then because they thought you were going to file grievances. I was having trouble and I needed more money. They just put a second mortgage and everything else. I needed them to spend money on law books, a Black's Law Dictionary, so I could learn legal terms and, and the Code of Criminal Procedures and lawyer's handbooks and the different books I needed to fight to, to try to get free, to represent myself because I could no longer afford attorneys. And she told me, all right, son, I will buy you those books on one condition. You have to, before you get them books, you have to lay your hands on them, and I want you to pray that God give you wisdom. I don't want you to pray for any kind of wisdom. I just want you to place your hands on those books and pray that God gives you wisdom. And little did I know that the wisdom he gave me would not set me free through the legal system. I lost, but it would set me free for all of eternity, man. I'm probably the most confident man you'll ever meet in your life. <laughs> I know that I know that I know that I can handle anything, that I will handle things because God is on my side and I know the Word of God and I know all the other books that He's had me read on wisdom and I'm telling you that it's there for you, man, just like it was for me. 
and whether or not you believe that God is the source of all knowledge, as I do, all knowledge is still a source that you can utilize. Just read, man. Awesome. Amen. Well, it's, gentlemen, yeah. it's been three hours. Uh, <laughs> that's a good. I'd say, I'd say that's a good message to leave off on. Sure. Um, I will put a link to uh, to your website. The GNC, and the you can GNC put a link to this book. Dot org and the book. And for I'll all put, you guys that are. Put all the links down below. About suicide. Uh, yeah, good stuff.